Warning. The following contains bright, flashing lights, and slash or imager that may cause discomfort, and slash or seizures for those with photosensitive epilepsy. Viewer discretion is advised. So, uh, like an OnlyFans, specifically for like the training community, they start the uh, start the aspect of having a paid subscription type thing where you know you 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 build it under the guise of being like a you know like a sexual thing, but when it when they were in there, you just peel it all back and it's just you know what shooting you? like a uh, shooting tannerite or something <laughs> like that in the car. Tannerite is kind of sexy, actually. <laughs> It is a very sexual experience to shoot Tannerite. Something I actually never experienced before in my life until recently. Somebody took me out to a field and he was like, hey, you want to shoot some Tannerite? Like, I've seen this, like, in movies and stuff like that, but I've never had the experience. Never. So it all depends on how much Tannerite you use and, okay. and at what distance you shoot it. So, yeah. Too. So if it's a little bit closer and it's smaller amounts, it's a little ticklish down there, downstairs. Oh, yeah. Um, you, 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 you feel it reverberate in the, in the places where liquids are, are, are stored and formed, that, I guess. That is a $20 word that I cannot spell, and <laughs> it, is, it just made me reverberate down there. Um, yeah, I mean, uh, an OnlyFans for the shooting community. I mean, prior to this, we were talking about OnlyFans for men. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, well, I, uh, there was a time when I was heavily, heavily, uh, and still am, um, shadow banned and, um, you know, edited on social media. And I thought about putting some of the class content on uh, Pornhub, out of all places. Um, and um, we did actually put a, a part of a, a class video, uh, specifically a pig class. We were basically utilizing a pig carcass as a, as a testing medium. And it, it got taken down. down. It got taken. Okay, so what, what, what policy or guidelines did you violate? I, have not, I don't remember. On, but on Pornhub, of all places. It was taken down probably within two days. Okay. You, it had a lot of likes and a lot of comments, but, you know, it just got, again, there's a, it's a lack of freedom, I guess, in this country. Uh, so for people that don't know who you are, uh, would you would you kind of introduce yourself? Of course, of course. Ed, you and I have known each other for quite some time now. Um, but uh, my name is Jerry. Yeah. Uh, I live in Los Angeles. I'm a former LAPD, former Marine, I'm still in law enforcement, and then I'm a, an executive protection specialist right now. I work for one family. I've been working for that same family for going on eight and a half years now. I run the training program for them. I also do firearms training on the side uh, with my company, Triple Feed. There's three family members. Uh, Brian, Luis, and myself, uh, the two uh, of, of us, I'm sorry, the three of us, two of them live in Las Vegas and I live in Los Angeles. So we've been, you know, talking, hanging out. Um, you, you, you've been through some of the training that I do. Uh, at the, this is this, a uh, surreal experience of tying you up somewhere, not in a sexual way. I, I took it as a sexual way. Well, it was, it was, it was a, it was a, it's a weird time. <laughs> uh, but, uh, we, uh, you know, we have a common kind of like heritage background, we do. you know, we do a very, you, 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 you want to you, like, where's, where's your, where do your parents come from? So, okay. Yeah. So it's funny cause my dad is here with so us. He's wandering, he's around. wandering around. Yeah. The, your dad looks so much like you, like if you were to like, remember that time machine yep. movie? 
If hot, you hot tub time machine or not that what, one? Bill's head? The no. time machine. The time. Where, like when when you, you escape that time bubble and you get really old really fast and you can see that. Isn't it like jumpers? Something, something, something like that. that yeah. But yeah, that your dad is 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 basically you know you're a clone. It, you know, it, it's we a are a carbon. Thing. If uh, I'm going to show you a photo uh, later on, and it's a photo of him in a vehicle with me, and he's I think he, I think he had a he had a road soda with him in the car, and I'm sitting without a car seat, of course, because you know that's how we roll back in the day. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah no car seats. No car, why? No fuck that. And um, I thought I was looking at myself. It scared the fucking shit out of me. <laughs> it scared me. So, so where are your parents from? So um, we're, we're from Mexico. So I, I was actually born in the U.S. However, my dad is born and raised in Tijuana, just, wow. just like you. Yeah, well, Tijuana, Tijuana native, which is a rare thing. It is. Not a lot of people are born in Tijuana. Uh, people migrate to Tijuana, but they don't actually. Uh, you know, they, uh, they, they don't time it right, and they want to have their kid in the U.S. And they drop it here, yeah. which may or may not have been my case. I don't know. Uh, but it's a, it's, a, it's a transitory city, and... It's rare. Even when I was in school, I remember like who, who, where, where was everybody born? And like th four of us out of a class of forty were it, from Tijuana. It's it's very similar to like Los Angeles, actually. So like a melting pot of just random fucking eclectic people. They're just yeah. all like, where are you from? Where are you from? Where are you from? And especially like in the inner cities, that that's kind of like the only way I could explain what Tijuana is like. I've never actually lived in Tijuana. I used to come here during the summer and spend the whole summer every year for years yeah. and years. Um, but like I, I'm kind of in the car ahead of the horse. Um, so Tijuana is where he was born, but his family is actually from Michoacan. Oh, Michoacan. Uh, Ario, un pueblecito que se llama Ario. That's that's uh, that's deep Mexico. It is deep Mexico. Yeah. <laughs> I've only been there once, and it was fun. And this was, and I got my shoes and my hat stolen <laughs> on my trip. Uh, my mother is actually raised in uh, Rosarito. So it's right down the street too. Yeah, uh, from from the beach town. The beach town. Beach town. Yeah. Lazy beach, beach town. Uh, recently became a municipality. When I say recently, like I feel like I, maybe a decade ago, okay. it used to be part of Tijuana or like you know like this weird area far from Tijuana that didn't have its own governments. Uh, now it does. Oh, shit. Yeah, I mean it's uh mostly Americans kind of live there. It's quiet. It's nice. Is it's it? A, it's a it's a great it's a great it's a great part of Tijuana. You know, a, a part of Baja. I mean, so I still uh, have family there. I still have a lot of family there. I just I haven't been to this side of the world in probably a good fifteen years. I just I've you've been busy. I've been busy, <laughs> but I've been more. I guess at one period of my my life, I could not come over here because of what I do for a living. Yeah, yeah. So it, 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 there was no way that I could come out here without permission. Um, and then I didn't have any family members that, that passed away for me to go, hey, you know, my, my uncle died, so I have to go and visit. Um, but I just, I don't have a reason to come out here anymore that often. So you mentioned how similar Tijuana and Los Angeles is. We've had, I don't know, like three guests from Los, An Los Angeles, you know, including Conejo, you know, uh, the, the the first guest we had in the season. Mm -hmm. Um and so, yeah, I've been I've been out there myself, and the similarities as far as the the you know the urban sprawl, the transitory nature, uh, people coming in and out of it, uh, and specifically you know paisanos that yep. kind of live out there. So you were born in Los Angeles. I was I was born in a little city called Bellflower, which is uh, it's part of the Los Angeles municipality. You know, it's yeah. it's the county of Los Angeles, I guess. But uh, I've known LA for a long time now. Now, like. Uh, as a kid, you know, from basically a immigrant, immigrant, uh, son of immigrants in Los Angeles, you know, what is what is that? Uh, we were growing up uh, during the nineties, I guess. You, did you did you get to experience some of the uh, 
you know, the, uh, the, you could say it, it's fine. You know, some of the unsafe parts of Los Angeles, specifically some of the, I mean, you were probably around for the riots, I guess, for I, that, I uh, was, that era. Yeah, so um, I wasn't in South Central. I grew up in Paramount, which is like the border city of Compton. So I had a lot of friends from Compton, a lot of the, uh, the, the areas there, a lot of stuff in Paramount. But I would go to downtown LA a lot with my parents, Huntington Park. Um, you know, we call it uh, HP and whatnot. Um, so I grew up very protected from my family. My mom and dad would beat my ass if I if left the house. Wander around. Oh, yeah, beat my ass. Um, but those were the times where they would still, like, leave us at home. Here's a set of keys. It's underneath the rug. You know, Both the, of them were working. Always. Both of them had two jobs. Um, when one would come, when one would leave to work, the other one would be coming back home, preparing the meal, and then going straight to bed. And we had to take care of ourselves. We would go to school ourselves. We would walk ourselves you know, miles and miles to go to school. And, you know, we got to know each other in, in the neighborhood, all the kids. So we kind of, like, bonded together. But in, in hindsight, when I, like, think about it, all the kids that I grew up around and all my cousins were all gangbangers. All of them. All of them. I was just too stupid to realize it. <laughs> I really was. I was just. What? Uh, this what? Is, uh, what? Uh, you know. You. You. You talk about both of your parents working. You know that is an experience. It is. You know? that, that, that's. Uh, that's part of the immigrant experience. So the, the. The whole fact that you are new in the country and you want to basically create a base and or a future for your kids. So both parents, you know, working. Yep. Um, that in a way is a big sacrifice of time, energy, and also it leaves some of us for the, you know some of like it left you to your own devices. So, uh, so TV helped raise me a lot, and the neighborhood. What, what, what were we watching on TV? If I could think about it, a lot of back in the so remember, I grew up Spanish only, so I'm, I'm ESL, and Espanol was my number one language. It yeah. was my only language, so a lot of telenovelas, a lot of. Uh, uh, Maria, Maria Carousel. Oh shit! Carousel de las all that, shit. all that, shit. all that, shit. all that. Shit. I used to watch. Uh, I used to watch novelas all the time. I used to watch uh, Chespirito. I used to watch, you know, all the stuff that my parents grew up watching. So basically, living in a weird Mexican bubble in LA. In LA, <laughs> in LA. In LA. I was in LA. Little Mexico in Little Mexican in, in LA. And you, you, you talk about some of your, you know, cousins and other people around you going into the, you know, the gangster life and gangbang life. Like, what was the uh, what, what were the tales that they were in that lifestyle? Uh, clothing, the the way the the vernacular, the street street vernacular they would use. The, just, I, I know it's kind of. I'm not gonna. It's not racist. It's just the way we fucking talk. Like, yeah. Hablamos bien diferente, and and um, the way the people they would hang out with, just everything. There was telltale signs that you know, okay, they're they're part of a street gang. You can yeah. tell. Um, but I was, again, I was too young to really realize it. I thought that was just our culture. That, that was, that's what we did. Um, until my father was like, Hey, you can't hang out with fucking Luis. You can't hang out with Daniel. You can't hang out with Mario. I'm like, why? They're my fucking cousins, dude. They're my friends. Um, and then when I really truly realized that, Hey, these guys are fucking gangsters is when I used to actually walk out with them at nighttime. Um, and as a kid in LA, you, Technically, you're not supposed to be out after a certain time. It's, it's you know, a curfew violation and whatnot. Um, and he would take me out with him because he would have me carrying things for him that I didn't know I was supposed to not carry. Yeah. Um, 
And um, he would kind of use me that way because if we got hemmed up by the police, um, you're a minor. I was a minor. You know, they didn't really fucking care. Um, I never got caught doing anything stupid that I thought. And, um, and then when I started seeing them getting more and more in trouble with the law, I'm like, yeah, I probably shouldn't be hanging out with these guys. <laughs> That's not what I want to do. It's a, it's, a weird, it's a weird space to be in when you're, you know, I mean, you're, you're a kid. There's a lack of supervision and there's a lot of freedoms, but, uh, you know, there's a, there's still, there's still a, 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 you know, parental nucleus there for you that is still kind of beating your ass if you do anything stupid. It, so you're, you're of an age. It was you know? more of a reactive parenting than, you know, proactive parenting, I guess. Like right now with my kid, I'm completely the different, the difference yeah. from, you know, night and day difference from wh- how my parents raised me. Not in the moral sense. Um, I'm still instilling the same morals and values that my parents instilled. But you, I'm, you're trying to fill the gaps that you feel were missed with you. Basically, there was lots of gaps that were missed, and I don't, I don't fault my parents for that. It's just that's the way life that, was. That that was the that I mean that's the beginning. You know, like uh, for me, like going to the United States and starting a life out there. I, like I, I went up there with nothing. Mm-hmm. You know, so I, 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 I get the whole getting there realizing that whatever you thought you knew was complete bullshit oh, yeah. and then whatever basis uh, to work and what you have to share and offer might not be as valuable if, as you thought and the whole urgency just to work yeah and have uh enough uh to pay you know california's expensive just, just just to provide just to provide uh, yeah, just to provide a loan um was difficult for my parents and that's why they were always working it was a constant thing and i never ever faulted them for it i didn't know what going to the mall was i didn't know what going to the park was well you know with my parents i would just do things on my own um i I didn't know any of that stuff it was just me kind of on my own and as long as i had food in the morning food in the evening and i had the keys to the house and they knew where that i was at school then that's all that mattered at the end of the day (laughs) nothing else mattered now you grew up in that environment you skirt the tail of, of the devil, you know, the devil's around you. Oh, yeah. You know, what um, What pulls you out of that scenery? Um, the biggest thing was seeing all my cousins um, and friends actually falling victim to the whole gang life. So yeah. I, I have a lot of cousins that are are in prison for, you know, malicious shit, like straight up murders. This is, this is uh, you know, this is the late 90s? This is now the early, late 90s, early to early 2000s. 2000s. Yeah. yeah, this is yeah, this is the, rowdy, rowdy times. It's rowdy times, especially in that area. Um, and I, I had cousins that I literally grew up with that I have known since, you know, since I was a baby. And um, went to school with them, hung out with them. I did everything with them. And just to come to find out that they took one, there was a fork in the road. I went one way, they went the other. We were still friends. We were still family, but they would do really crazy shit. What do you What do you think is the difference between you and them? Honest to God, to the day, I still don't know. One or two choices, maybe. Yeah. No, I don't want to do this. I'd rather do this, and I didn't get caught up in that one moment. You know, people talk about uh, some people, you know, having a tendency or having this, uh, you know, predisposition to stuff like that. Yeah, I think I think I'm on on the same page as you as far as choices, you know, small choices that kind of add up. Yep. Uh, you know, I did a lot of stupid shit when I was a kid, <laughs> and uh, some of these choices led me to where I am now. But uh, it's interesting to see 
you know, people with kind of the same family dynamics, same coming from the same family, same nucleuses, but just small choices kind of pulling you to a completely opposite uh, direction. So I think it's absolute bullshit that people uh, claim, you know, I'm, we're predispositioned to do X, Y, and Z. It's, it's, in, it's in our blood. It's in our stream. It's in the neighborhood you grew up. Because I know a lot of people in my neighborhood that came out very <laughs> successful. And then I know way more people that are just fucking shitbags in my yeah. neighborhood. Um, and they grew up the same way. They were all poor. They all had the same school, the same upbringing, the same, you know, for lack of a better term, moral values that, you know, the Hispanic community instilled in them. It just, they made a few choices that were really shitty and they got caught. And because of it, they said, fuck the system. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. And I'm just going to continue on this path. Now, that's an interesting observation. You talk about the system and basically somebody getting caught once and it kind of going into a downward spiral instead of like them performing, you know? Um, what is that? is that? Is that a, you know, is that basically, I don't know, the, the system itself being like a, like a school of, in a way, you know, people going into the system and them not reforming, but actually getting better at or learning more about how to not get caught. About how not to get caught. I, I think the system uh, was and still is kind of broken. Um, there's a lot of cracks. I mean, in, 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 in this big cog that we're, this machine that, that we're in, we're just a tiny little cog in it. And um, I don't think the system has our best interest in mind. I think it's more of how the, the bigger picture, how the machine is gonna work and operate. They don't care about how it operates as long as it operates. Um, it definitely is broken because I've seen some really, really good people just make an honest mistake and yeah. they're fucked for life. Yeah, they're, they're taken. They're taken. They're tarnished. There's, there's so many things. And I've seen this firsthand as, as LE because you know, I've arrested people you, because they did something. And what ended up happening is it just ruined their fucking life. And I feel like shit now. You, you, you uh, again, you, you skirt that tail. You go in an opposite direction. Yeah. You know? Where do you land after after trying to basically escaping that uh, faith that uh, some of your people, uh, family members went through? So uh, at that time, what happened was 9-11. 9-11 had just happened. That's, a, that's, a, that's been a commonality with a few people that have come on. Uh, we had a, a guy named Micah Fink who, who runs Heroes of Horses. Same thing, 9-11. Yeah. And uh, the... You know, for me, it was 9-11 hit, and it just fucking put the economy in the toilet here in Tijuana, so I had to look for another job, basically. But in a way, it did affect it. What, what did 9-11 mean to you when you watched that going on on, on, you know, on the TV? So crazy part about 9-11 was I actually had already joined the Marine Corps. I had already um, sworn in initially, and now, what'd you mean? I was 17. What, what made you what made you go into that career that uh, path basically so i <laughs> i wanted to join the military because i wanted to get out of the hood i didn't want to be stuck in the hood did you see as an did you see as, an, as a like an exit out of there yes. like a ticket to travel Only, get the f- not to travel just to get the fuck out of where i was i cuz i all my cousins again all my friends they were just getting caught up in weird shit it was just a matter of time just, just a matter that- of time if I stayed longer, it would have been, okay, fuck it. I'll go out with you guys this time. I can't say no all the time, you know? And then that one time is when I'm going to get caught and I'm going to be put in the fucking system just like everyone else. But for me, joining military was more of an out than me. I want to join and, you know, serve my country. Well, there was not, there was, yeah, it was an exit. It was, it was, an, was exit. an exit. It was an exit. Yeah. And actually 9-11 didn't happen until 
seven, eight months after I, I actually signed. You're, you're inside and, you know, going through the whole process of training, and then you see this event? Well, it actually happened right before I left at boot camp. Okay. So I, I saw it when I was my senior year. I'm like, oh, shit. I'm going to fucking war? Like, I hope not. Like, this is weird. Um, like, I didn't, I didn't sign up to go to war. Well, okay, fuck. I guess this is what we're going to do. Um, and it just, it happened. Yeah, it happened. It just, it was a weird transition because I have a lot of friends that signed up because of 9-11. Yeah. You know, like tons of friends that signed up because of 9-11. That, what, what do you think, that, what, like, when you, when you see them and when they were there, what, what was the motivation to, for some of these people? Retribution? Uh, retribution. A, um, a sense of, like, doing something that mattered. So, so if you were, you, were you already stateside when all that happened or were you still over here? When what happened? When 9-11 happened. Were you back no, and I, forth? I was back and forth. Okay, back and forth. Um, one thing that I noticed a lot after 9-11 happened is there was a lot of, um, right now we live in a time where there's a lot of uh, broken up communities and there's a lot of, um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for here? Um, it's a lot of bickering and fighting amongst. Tribalism. A lot of tribalism. Yeah, the, the, yeah, you have trans versus, you know, gun community versus guys that are into spiritual practices that are kind of you weird. name it you and, name it everybody yeah. has a everybody has something to be a victimized correct be like a victim for back then when 9-11 happened there was so much unity like the most ridiculous amount of unity. everybody was proud to be american everybody felt the same everybody hugged everybody felt sad at the same time but but proud to be here everybody wanted to serve yeah. rarely would you see people that said oh fuck that whatever we deserved it rarely yeah um you can say you can you, you could can say anything no like you couldn't without people looking at you like I'm gonna fly like some yeah, flags I remember seeing flags, flags everywhere yeah. uh, ra people randomly thanking law enforcement yeah. firefighters military and this personnel whole, this whole completely you know that you know I saw that from the lens of somebody that was 19 yeah and you know seeing that wow that this this attack brought everybody united us it really did and then. You know, later on in life, I got to see the whole cancel the police thing, which was pretty interesting as far as a, a separation of a reality. So you see this, uh, you see this, you know, reality changing event, and you're already you already signed. So it's like, holy shit! I have no choice now. I have no choice now. <laughs> yeah, I'm stuck here. This, uh, this, uh, you know, what's what's going through your mind as far as you know? I I, I understand that aspect of you know having to you know. Biting off more than you can chew, kind of yeah. mentally, you know. Uh, and now everybody's around you, looking for retribution, motivated, united, united, motivated. They felt, you know, compelled to serve their country. Whatever. You, you there's a, a laundry list of reasons why people join the military, but usually it's those those categories. Um, I was already in, so I'm like, okay, cool. What do we do next? Um, at the time though, so I, when I, my MOS, my job was actually, I, I was pogue as fuck. I was assigned to an infantry battalion, um, as their ammo chief. So I was, I was, I'm an ammo guy. Um, but at the time I wasn't in a deployable unit. So everybody, all my friends were going overseas, Over. you know, they were either going to Afghanistan or Iraq. And then here I am like, fuck, when, when is it my turn? Um, so I kept bugging my command staff, like, hey, I really want to go. I really want to go. I really want to go. And eventually they're like, all right, Jerry, or Perez. Hey, we'll, we'll, uh, we'll send you to a unit that's deployable. And they assigned me to the East Coast, and that's when I actually got to deploy.
with 1st Battalion, 2nd Marines. What's that feeling? What was that feeling like when you're like, well, I'm asking for this. Let me see what's going on. Are you seeing people coming back with experiences? Do yeah. You talk, are you hearing uh, stories of people coming back? It, it's so the, at the height of, okay, during the first wave of, oh, oh, you know, OIF-1, it was a lot different um, than, than when I went out. Uh, when I went out, there was, there was fobs out there, uh, there's bases, there was all sorts of shit that, you know, that was ours. And, and the initial invasion, it was, there was nothing out there. Yeah. There's like absolutely nothing. And you've probably talked to a lot of guys that have been there during the first wave. Um, and they, they were in mob suit the whole fucking time, or yeah. they, they lived in, you know, in holes or in their vehicles, you know, in the, in the Humvees. And it was really, it was really different back then. So, um, the guys that I got to talk to that were part of my unit that, got to deploy during the first wave um they the way they explained it was way different from what i actually experienced um i guess it was a little bit more cushiony for me yeah. um but it still was was an interesting experience basically you, you were in the, the u.s was in a holding pattern yeah. when 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 you got to get there now <clears throat> you go there what's the sentiment like as far as the people there most people uh were scared of us not in the sense that, that, you know, they thought we were the boogeyman and we were there to take their lives or anything. They just, they knew not to talk to us. They, they would, you know, command would set down a set of rules. You know, don't be on the road when we're on the road. Make sure you guys fucking clear the path when we're walking through, when we're driving through. Uh, don't congregate in big, you know, locations. Don't have cell phones out, you know, when we're around you. Um, what else? Uh, very few times would like male adults wave at us and say hi. I was usually the little kids that were coming up to us, ah, give me candy, give me, give yeah. me, give me. Uh, they're the ones that actually liked us. And then women, they, they weren't even allowed to look at us for the most part. Now, now a weird question. Yeah. You know, somebody like on this side looking at this thing completely externally. Um, was there any questioning about why you were there? Like amongst you, amongst you guys. I mean, you just experienced a terrorist attack, you know, with a bunch of Saudis and Egyptian people on a plane, <laughs> and all of a sudden you find yourself invading Afghanistan and Iraq. Was there any outward? I, I, I know the sentiment was very like, "We're here. This is the mission. We're doing all this stuff." Was there any questioning about the the reasoning why you were there? I think it was more questioning. Why the fuck are we in this hole right now when we have a base over here that we could be in? Or, um, you know, why is this taking so long? What are we doing here? But not necessarily why are we in Iraq? The politics of yeah, it. The politics, yeah. we're, we're too young and stupid to really understand. Or at least I was, at least. I was, I was you know, 19, 20 at the time. So I didn't really understand that portion of it. Um, I knew what my command would tell me, and I knew what the news said. And you know those, both of those lie all the time. So, <laughs> What uh, was the news saying? Uh, the news was saying weapons of mass destruction, weapons of mass destruction, the WMDs, you know, you know, they're baddies, they're baddies. Uh, and, uh, you know, Saddam was bad. So I mean, I'm not saying he was good. I'm not saying he was no, good, no. but like, uh, I, the, I'm just uh, trying to understand the, uh, you know, the mentality of, uh, being young out there, basically in a war, war fighting, fighting stance, you know, and there was a lot of hurry up and wait. There was, especially for, for my unit, there was a lot of hurry up, let's get there. Okay, we're here. We got to gather intel. We got to talk to the locals. 
okay, we're going to have to wait now. There's a lot of that going on. You know, in between the rockets and the mortars and the IEDs, there was a lot of hurry up and wait. Um, so that's when we would question, like, well, what the fuck are we doing here? Okay, like, can we get on with it? Yeah. Like, if there's a mission here, let's fucking do it, okay? Um, it, it was when, you know, idle hands, when we would not do no, anything. No, that's the worst. Yeah. That's the worst. That's you when know, we start that's, contemplating that's, things. That's when you start fucking thinking about things. Sometimes people start thinking about horrible things. Yeah, yeah. Um, <clears throat> did you have any, uh, you know, a lot of people talk about uh, what's going, like, what they leave behind when they go out to something like that. You know, did you have anything going on at home that uh, kind of made you think back on it? Um. No, uh, I'll be honest. I was, there. I was very, free. I was very free, free lucky. agent, free. I was free. The only person that uh, I was kind of worried about was was my pops. Uh, you know, my, my mom passed away really young, so my dad was by himself. And uh, yeah, go ahead. Your mom passed away really young. Yeah. How old were you when your mom passed twelve. away? Twelve. I was twelve years old. Did she? Can I ask? Yeah, you could ask anything. Yeah. Did she. Uh, How'd she, how'd she, uh, how'd you leave? She passed away of, uh, lupus. Passed away of lupus. Was it, was it a, a process or was it like a... So my mother hid it from us for years. Yeah. She was very old school, like Mexican. Uh, she didn't yeah. want to let, you know, her husband, the kids know that she, yeah, you know, she I, had problems. I understand that. Um, she just, she kind of hid it from everyone and we would see her body change and her mood change and we noticed that she was going to the hospital by herself a lot and fuck is happening here and um she suffered with it for a few years and then finally it just hit her to the point where she could not just function yeah, she could not function at all um she went to she, she had some kind of uh she went into like either cardiac arrest i don't remember if it was cardiac arrest because i was too young or she had some kind of breathing problem uh, rushed her to the er and then she never left the hospital again so she was in the hospital for almost three months um first few days wasn't on a ventilator and then the last month and a half two months she was you know she had a tube down her throat yeah. um and then she ended up passing away she ended up passing away of lupus uh, complications of lupus the the uh that's a young age to lose uh, somebody as fundamental and important as your mother yeah um you talk about uh being out there and worrying about your father for him you know because he's alone yeah you know um <clears throat> And also you talk about this uh, kind of detachment and freedom as well. So for me, again, remember we talked about this, me joining the military was my out. Yeah. It was not only my out from the hood, but it was my out for my pops too. Yeah. Love the guy, but sometimes he's very difficult to be around. I think you could relate to stuff like this. Oh, yeah. You know, the, the, the Hispanic community in general can relate to this. Like We love our parents to death. We'll do anything for them. But yeah. God damn, sometimes. There's, there's, there's a moment when we have to kind of exit. Like, what the fuck are we doing? Like, Pops, please leave me alone. And, um, but we, we, we also, we have such an attachment to our parents that, like, I would never put my dad in a fucking home. No, yeah, yeah. The, I would. The, that's, a, that's an interesting cultural difference that some of that, uh, I'm not saying all Americans have. Let's just, let's be real, Ed. A lot of white people like to put their fucking, their parents in, in, in send, homes. Send, sending, sending your, your parents away yeah. to somewhere because they are, in a, you know, hard to a deal burden. with or manage. Some kind of burden. Yeah. Um, it, it's, 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 it's a, you know, remember, you know, getting observations of the fact that I, I, I my dad's, you know, pretty old and like I could take care of him yeah. and I've been single for a while. And the observations of uh, 
of women when they learn that, you know, I take care of my dad every now and then. And they're like, why don't you put him in <laughs> why don't you put him in a home? Or like he's he's at he's at the he's at the house? Yeah. Yeah, that 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 whole it's very uh, weird for some people. Yeah. Well, but th- this is this is the this is the way we've kind of been raised. You know, that's the that's the culture. The way, the way I also see it is um Hispanics, they don't kick their kids out of, out of the house. Like no. They just stay here as long as you want. I don't care. Yeah. Live with me until you're 40, 50. I don't care. You know? <laughs> and it's it kind of works. It's like a, a circle of life, man. Like yeah. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a, you know, it's the last lem- remnants of a tribal community yeah. or tribal society that we come from. You're out there. Your main worry back home is your dad. The the fact that your mom left at an early age and he's like on his own in a way, you know. Like, uh, what brings you back from that? While I'm out there, yeah. or just what physically. Back, what brings you back from that situation? You're out there, you know. So in this, in this, in this, uh. In this, you know, you're saying hold batter, basically. <laughs> I, I was fortunate enough that one of the bases that we would uh, go to from time to time had, like, calling cards and cell phones or, or landlines that we could call call home. So at least once every other week I would call and make sure that my pops was good, um, writing letters and, and getting packages from him and me sending shit to him as well. Um, kind of kept him sane because he wouldn't hear from me. Was weeks he, at was, a time was that was, was that like I mean it's a it's a latent worry that I mean parents have you know you send somebody and obviously at this time you're seeing the news and the the death toll oh yeah I remember seeing the the, the, the death toll numbers just he started stacking up around that time yeah not as much as you see them now with suicides yeah that is true but, but back then yeah. you, would, you would see that and be like and I remember seeing the shift on the news where it was like. You know, invasion successful, we're like holding and all of a sudden. Oh, yeah. Did you get to experience some of that? Um, I got to experience a lot of the ambush part. Yeah. Um, not necessarily direct contact. Yeah. Because my position was not that of a direct contact, you know, conventional unit. It was more from fob to fob. And during the fob movements is when we would get attacked the most. Either uh, via conventional IED with, you know, ambushes um, or rockets and mortars is what we would get a lot of. Uh, so I didn't, it wasn't per se what, what like you like I said, the, the conventional units would get. Yeah. Um, but that shit's fucking scary. Dude. I mean, it's, it's a, <laughs> like, I, I, we, we don't have a lot of, well, we, we, we started getting some IEDs uh, down here, but not, you know, there's no spent or there's no uh, available ordinance laying around everywhere. So that I, I can't imagine that whole, I wonder if it's going to blow up any moment. At any moment. Around. One, one thing that I did, um, I would think, I was like, look, if I get hit by an IED, I'm gone. I'm not going to feel fucking shit if it's a direct hit, especially in the truck that I was in. My truck had all the ammunition, all the ordinance. You were going to. So if I go boom, I go big boom. Oh, big boom. Um, so I, I, I kind of put that aside a long time ago. I, I, I reconciled with myself and what the, that uh, if I'm going to die, I'm going to fucking die. Like, I'm not scared to die. I'm scared of what's going to happen to my family if I die. Yeah. But I'm not, personally, I'm not scared of, of death. You're not afraid of death. You're moving around there in a car full of fucking ammo, <laughs> uh, waiting for somebody just to set it off, maybe. 
uh, is there any plans in your mind of the future? Like, what are you going to do next? Is Are you thinking about that? Or are you just fucking on autopilot out there? Autopilot. I was, let's get to this fob. Let's go there. Let's go talk to these people. Let's get back home before the sun sets. That's it. It was as soon as the sun up, let's go out there for, you know, anywhere between 10 to 12 hours. And then, hey, let's make it back before sunset. The feeling of everything mattering in that war setting, you know, like you know, it matters that you're there. It matters that the people that are okay around you. It matters that everybody does their job. Everything matters there. Is that is that kind of like the general fe- feeling as far as being out there? It, it the responsibility of it, basically. Res- I guess the way I saw it was you have an obligation to do this. This was your mission. It's Meaning, cut and dry. It's very cut and dry for me, and for the, the guys that I was with. Hey, you protect my left. I, you protect my right. I protect the rear. If there's an issue, fucking let me know. And we would do what we needed to do. And when we got back the fob, that's when we would kind of decompress and talk about either the day or our family or become humans again. Yeah. Um, but at the time, no, it it's just cut and dry. It was very cut and dry. The simplicity of it. We just wanted to keep it simple. You know, we wanted to keep it simple. When does that end for you, that being out there? Uh, are, are you talking like actual time frame? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I came back, so I was there during the holidays of 05. Thanksgiving, Christmas, New Year's. Uh, and then I came back first quarter of 20, 2006. I came back stateside. You came back stateside and wanted just, no more, no more, no more trips out there? No, uh, no more trips with military, but yeah. I went back out there as a contractor. Civilian so contractor. You, you come uh, back. What what is the uh, conversation like as far as contracting out there that you encounter? So I, I did get to encounter some of the dudes that were out there doing contract work for either security or doing uh, their logistical shit because there's a lot to do out there. There's yeah. a lot to do, yeah. uh, especially on the logistical side. And uh, I got to see some of the figures that they were making. <laughs> the nice they, they, w- 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 like in your yeah. young marine mind, w- what you were making, you know? Pennies. Compared see, to what these and guys. seeing these guys doing what they did, you know, what we were doing, only only for the for the private sector, for the private getting, sector, yeah, getting a getting a get a solid paycheck. And I said, I need to do this. Like at my age, I've already gone out there once. I might as well go out there again. But for for, but for money, for money, <laughs> I'll yeah. do it for money. For money, the, the, well, the the uh, I understand that aspect of it, just being out there for a cause or for some sort of, you know in an official role with the government, but also all these private companies out there basically trying to build infrastructure, move things, create things. Look, let's be honest. The people that are out there on the private sector are out there for one reason, one reason only. Yeah. Yeah, fake money. 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 They were profiteering off of war. They really were. Um, Now, were they making a difference? Yeah, some of them were definitely making a difference, but there was people out there, they just, this shit's destroyed, this shit's over here, we got to dispose of this. We got to build buildings because you guys destroyed them. Let's go make some money and do it. Yeah. Like, why not? And they were doing that. There's a lot of people taking advantage of. of so you went back, got into the private sector, and basically hitched it right back. And, and, and hitched it right back. Yeah. I, I was working. What was, it, what was the difference, uh, like, in, in, like you were experience, the difference of you going in that role? Well, one thing is I wasn't armed the second time. I had people around me that were armed that would protect us. So I went back with the Corps of, uh, the Army Corps of Engineers, and all I did was demolitions. 
all I did was I exploded shit. Exploded shit. Fucking day. I'm talking. What were you? What were you setting off? Basically, what were we disposing? Okay, I think I could talk about it now because this was this was long, long time ago, and I don't work for them anymore. I won't disclose the company I was working for, but we would dispose of things like the actual like U.S. ordinance that was in the hands of the Iraqi government. That I don't know how it got there, but it got so there. You, yeah, stuff that you would find out there that was like well confiscated stuff. Yeah. yeah. So there, there was times where we would go into these caches, um, and they looked just like, hey, do you know what ammunition bunkers look like, like military ammunition yeah, yeah, bunkers? Okay, yeah. so from a top-down view, satellite view, they just look like hills, right? Yeah. So there was just fields of these that we kind of came across, and we had a perimeter set out, you know, that would protect us, and then we had an interior perimeter that would kind of just rove, and then we, as the workers there, would uh, go from, we call them, uh, uh, Magazine, I guess, yeah, am, am, ammo caches, whatever you want to call them. Uh, every day we would go to a different one and destroy the ordinance that was in there. So what we would do is collect it, make sure that it was safe to move first. Uh, but the shit that we would run into, man, I'm talking like you would look at a box and on the outside of the box, it would say parts for typewriters. And I'm like, parts, of, why are we destroying typewriters? And I'd open it up and there's hand grenades and there was fucking all sorts of explosives. I'm like, that's how they got it through the fucking borders, man. Like yeah. parts for fucking typewriters. Okay. So we would dispose of shit like that. I found, um, Nazi ammunition, like with Nazi swastika stamps, yeah, Nazi era stuff. Out Nazi there. era. So I'm like, it's fucking crazy. Like, okay. The inside of the bunkers, you would look up and it would say parts for bridges. And it was, it was shit that, that Saddam would kind of, gather from different countries i yeah. don't know how he would get it but i'm sure there was some no yeah he definitely had pipe plans and weird uh, weird, weird shit weird, weird supplies oh, yeah. he was caught with a glock 18 yeah with a selector switch yeah. on yeah. it so that motherfucker had a catalog oh, somewhere he had it yeah he had an, the easy button yeah the easy uh, button and so that's that's what that's what we would do we would just kind of take control take control of some of these uh found ordinances and then like in, in where they were basically no or? so what we would do is because they would still use the buildings for other things we would make sure that it was safe to remove we would remove it we would drive it a few miles down the road we would um we would c4 detonate um most of the explosives if it was small arms like uh like actual bullets we would burn it we would do a, like a burn you don't you don't you don't uh, explode actual bullets you, you burn them and then um we would drive out at the end of the day and from we're far away. Bullets. We're burning bullets. Later yeah. on, when the ammo shortage just hitting, oh, you're dude, like, "Fuck!" Think about it to the day. <laughs> you're, you're an MP5 guy, right? You love MP5s. I mean, that's that's one of the uh, one of the firearms that I kind of like have a lot of experience with. Okay, yeah. so this is this one's gonna kill you. Oh no! Don't so, tell me. Cache. There was a, it was probably five times the size of this room. Open up the box. Brand new MP5s in plastic still. Shit. Brand new in plastic with. Brand new fucking magazines. I, I probably know what that smells like because I got mine brand new, still in packaging with the with the uh, still had the, the grease thick, on it. Yeah, with the the uh, the it's not uh, co like the, not it's not cosmoline, but it's like a it's a different grease that the yep. the, the, the the Germans use. Yep. Which still still in the packaging, smelled crazy, looked. Cra I'm like, what, why are we destroying these? Why can't we just take them home? Oh no, these are confiscated. We have to destroy them. We're under contract. Take them out. Pa. Hey, what? 
Yeah. Just have, don't, two. You want dual wheeling, you know? Just have them hanging from your side. This would have killed you. Yeah, oh, this would have killed you. I, I, uh, it was yeah. re really crazy stuff that we were getting rid of. So these, uh, I, I, I remember seeing some, like, I don't know, I don't remember the name of this uh, Nazi era. Uh, it's basically the ancestor to the AK. Okay, basically. yeah. You know what I'm talking about. I've, I've seen uh, some uh, pictures. It's uh, our... <clears throat> I'll, I'll think about it later. Yeah, but it's basically with with the uh, with the long magazine. It looks like a like an old school AK. It's a predecessor to to the Quetzalcoatl Chivo. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You could say, and I've seen them out there. Yeah. So I got the, so these basic these munitions and arms armaments were coming in from everywhere. Man, probably. Everywhere, yeah. yeah. This guy had hooks everywhere, and, so, it, and it was our job to get rid of it. Unfortunately. So you're uh, you know you're doing. Is it yeah. uh, you know I've found grenades in houses before. And the feeling of it, you know, first off, not, I, I remember, I've, I've never set one off in training because that's not the training we got, you know, <laughs> I set off, you know, flashbangs and smoke grenades. So I knew, I knew at least about the mechanics of them, but not, you know, not, not actually explosive grenades until later, you know, when we had some crazy fun somewhere. <laughs> uh, but uh, I remember uh, opening up a drawer somewhere in a house. And just seeing that thing roll, it's like the, the, the feeling of uh, of an unknown. You know, you don't know what it is. You know, you, you, see, you, see, you see this. It's like, wow, that's interesting. I hope that electrical tape holds whatever it's holding correctly. Uh, now, did you have any experience like that where you found these un these unknown things? So, working with ammunition for for four years in the military, in the beginning, everything was like, oh shit, it's sensitive. It's like a brand new baby, right? Like, how did your mom? treat the firstborn like with, with as much care as possible yeah. right and the third I'm the, thir I'm the, the third your kid. third one you were getting I'm, tossed yeah, you're third kid i was oh in the my. back of the car oh, yeah you're back of the car no seat belt on no seat belt. that's how i treated ammo at the tail end of my career so we especially overseas when you go in and you replace another unit that was in that fob or in that you know what the operating zone that we were operating out of a lot of them would leave caches of ammo they go hey we don't want to turn this in do you guys want extra at4s and hand grenades and laws and we're like yeah cool like well you have to inventory them because we're not we just know that these are all the serial numbers they're there look for them we're calling it a fucking uh, a transfer i'm like okay so i'd go and talk to my you know people that i was supposed to talk to my gunner like hey they're giving us all this shit take it sign for it it's ours i'm like Cool. So I would. Just two. Um, and I would open up drawers. And this is Marines, okay? This is Marines. This is not fucking. <laughs> these are not Hajis fucking throwing grenades in, 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 in drawers. These are Marines, the trained Marines. And I open up drawers and there's this belt fed fucking ammo there. I'm like, all right, cool. That's easy. Open up another drawer. Oh, hand grenades. Okay, cool. They're just thrown about. Some of them duct tape. Some of them have. Actual, um, what's um, the, the 1970s happy, or was it the 60s or 70s? The Forrest Gump, happy face. Painted on there. Yeah, it painted on there. Have I'm a like, nice day. Have a nice day on the grenade. I'm like, that's, I actually have a photo of that one. I'll send it to you. Um, we had, you know, two or three grenades on the other side. We had we just caches of shit just thrown about everywhere. C4 lying around, deck cord over here, time fuse over there. I'm like, all right, I got I got And it was just, thrown about it looked like a child's playroom like legos just thrown about everywhere and i had to make sure that this all got counted i had to make sure it was all there so what i, I guess what i'm getting at is 
Did I have those oh shit moments? Like, oh shit, I just found something. You just fucking that went away. It went away after I just desensitized completely. I'm like, whatever. I, I know what's going to make this go off. <laughs> I like, I played a joke once um, with uh, one of the one of the companies that I was supplying one day, and because uh, I would go from fob to fob, resupplying all the all the different companies with whatever they needed for the week. But I would do it daily to make sure that they had everything they needed and. I always used to carry a stick of, of C4 in my, somewhere on my body to fuck with people. Yeah. And this is what I would do. I would throw it at them and they would get fucking scared. Oh, it's going to blow up. I'm like, no, it, it takes how it works. It's not how it works, buddy. It's not how it works. And then I threw, I actually laid one in a fire once and I said, oh, it's going to blow up. They're all scared. I'm like, takes more than just yeah. firing. Like, it'll just melt for the most part. Yeah, the the, the bomb, bomb squad but... here is uh, basically the army shows up and it throws a rock at it or <laughs> it pokes it with a stick, you know, or the, the fucking just gnarly MH shows up and just, you know, just grabs it and fucking puts it in a fucking gap. We call that penguin tactics, okay? <laughs> like, let's see if he's going to get eaten for, oh, yeah, it exploded. Okay, we still yeah. have a few more guys. Yeah, uh, yeah it, I desensitized. I was, I was really desensitized by the way ammunition worked at the end. The, uh, you know, having an, an experience like that, you know, changes you probably. There's some, there's, I think, uh, I think I heard Jordan Peterson talk about the, the, uh, how, you know, going through risky shit like that in your life. And now we had a whole generation of people go out there and do some of that risky shit. How it, uh, chemically changes us, you know, how it, uh, turns us, you know, you're not the same person walking into that job as you are walking out. No. Yeah. And this is, this is, um, you could take that into a lot of different aspects. So like initially in, I know we're going to touch on it later, but the whole law enforcement thing, I was very mobile first. Yeah. And then as the years, began, just, I guess it's almost, it's almost borderline complacency, but it yeah. wasn't complacency. It's more like, I know what's going to happen if I do X, Y, and Z. Yeah. You educate your paranoia as you yes, go. You educate you vocalize it. That's the best way to put it. You educate you, the paranoia. So you're out there blowing up shit, uh, yeah. gathering shit so other people don't get blown up yeah. probably. And you're doing this for good pay. Yeah, very good pay. Lucrative pay. Actually. Lucrative pay. And you're like, huh? Are you are you are you considering this a, like a long term job uh, job uh, I, I for did, yourself? I did in your mind. I did. I, I was I was I was telling We're myself, be out here forever. Dude, I could I could do this for years. This is easy. This is cool. You know. And they send me wherever I want every every four months. You know, paid ticket. Oh, do you want to go to Dubai? Do you want to go to, you know. Mexico, do you want to go? Where, where do you want to go? We'll send you. You know, paid vacation for, I think it was 30 days. And then you'd come back and just kill it again. 30 days cycles. 30 days cycles. 30 days. Yeah. Well, it was three months on and then 30 days off. Three months on, 30 days off is what it was. Doable. It, very doable, actually, for the pay. Very doable. Um, and then at the tail end of that, um, while I was out there, Saddam was caught. They caught the fucker. They caught the fucker. Got him. Got him. Got him. Got him. The Glock 18, right? <laughs> well, I remember seeing that, that the only thing I was interested in was I fucking selected on that Glock. You know? Have you ever shot an 18? <clears throat> yeah. yeah. It's not safe. No. Not safe at all. No. Uh, some, somebody somebody here decided it's a good idea to get some for uh, armored vehicle drivers, which is a stupid idea. Out here? No. No. And also, uh, selector switches are everywhere down here. Yeah. Uh, you know, black market yeah. and or yeah, open market. <laughs> you would find them some in places. Uh, those the ones you put in the back. Yep. That's Which, you know, they work a few times, and then the three D printer ones you mean, right? Uh, no, like the uh, there, there, there's a there. They we would find these 
things that you would install on the back of the Glocks. So the, the, ba the back plate the, of the slide, right? The, yeah. the back plate, and it had a little selector switch that goes from side to side. I like that. And you would find those. <laughs> and <laughs> think about people finding weapons in Mexico when you're cops in, in the military. You know, you'd find something with a sight on it or with some sort of accessory, and you then, <laughs> you know, every now and then I would, you know, some of our guys would take like a selector or some shit like that off, off it, uh, off a Glock like that. It's for, it's for science. It's for science. Yeah. And then all of a sudden somewhere you'd be in a gun range and it's like Robocop, you know. <laughs> it's like, what the fuck is that? And then they would go to the armory because they fucked up something on that gun because that gun is not made to shoot like that. Uh, 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 the, you know, he gets caught. I remember that seeing that on the news. This is, you know, this guy on the ground, you know, looking up. Was that, is that a feeling of like mission accomplished, basically? No, it was a feeling of I need to get the fuck out of this country <laughs> because it's gonna because it's gonna fucking internally explode. explode. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I'm like I need to get the fuck out because there's gonna be factions fighting amongst each other. People are gonna try to get him. You know, it just shit's gonna fall apart. I just knew it. And uh, and it's crazy because I was working with a bunch of um, like Iraqi working parties. It was it's basically a bunch of military aged. Um, Iraqis that would get hired by us and it, they would screen them. I don't know how they would screen them, but they would screen them and they were our working party out there. So if we needed to move anything heavy, like laborious, we would use them. And we had one chirp with them at all times. It kind of spoke broken, broken, broken English, enough broken English to get by kind of like my dad, <laughs> you know, just to get by. And um, he would be our conduit. For the guys and when Saddam got caught I asked him I was like hey uh what do you think what do you think dude like what's what's your sentiment here where were you where do you you have a horse in this race <laughs> he's like uh fuck Saddam I'm like okay I'm like, oh, what about your other guys like some of them no fuck Saddam <laughs> I'm like oh, okay yeah, them, yeah. yeah I'm like I'm glad I pulled you off to the side I go should <laughs> we and he goes you okay I'm like I don't that, have a that warm foot. No, yeah, it doesn't sound like a, okay. No, that didn't really sound okay. I'm like, I go, I go now. I go. Uh, so I, I decided to come back after that. Not, not again. Not because I was scared of anything. It's just I think it was, it was like it, it felt like a finale, like a good moment to just bow out. It was it was a good moment to bow out. It was a, a turning point in my life. You know, another chapter. And uh, and I always knew. Remember, I always knew at a very early. I actually didn't touch on this, but at a very very early age, I kind of knew I wanted to be a cop. Was that like something always in the back of your mind? Always, back of my mind. Always since I was a kid. Always. Now, what what aspects of being a cop? That, well, I mean, you're a kid, right? Yes. I I on the other hand yeah. never wanted to be a cop. <laughs> Fuck the police. Puercos, <laughs> they would fucking grab me and fucking break my. They, they fucking took my skateboard once. They beat the yeah. shit out of me once at a concert. You know, again, police down here very different. So, uh, so yeah, they never in my fucking wildest dreams that I want to fucking be a cop. But you, as a kid, now what experience or like what imagery that you have in your mind as far as cops? So, um, I did see a lot of the craziness on TV um, back in the day, and then, like I said, I grew up with you know some cousins and friends and family that just were not on the right side of the tracks. So I did see them in and out, in and out. And I would try to avoid that as much as I could. And I think that was the catalyst was seeing them constantly getting in trouble by the cops um, that I said, I don't want to do that. And then there was a few times where I had very positive interactions with cops and they told me, I think this is what I want to do. 
Like, this what, is what I want. Like you're you're a kid in that area. What, what positive interactions did you have? Like you can you like talk? That's a, for me. That's interesting that you had a positive interaction with police. Well, again, yeah, I, that it, what, you're right. What what, what positive interaction did you get that that uh, made you say, you know what? I want to be one of you guys. <laughs> I love the way you put it. I'm, I'm starting to fucking rethink my life, man. Okay, I'm, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. This is a. This, this a it feels like we're on mushrooms here at home sometimes. So you know. Um. I cannot, for the life of me, give you one example, but I know I had some kind of positive interaction that led me to say, "I this is what I want to do." I just don't remember it. I really you, don't remember it right now. You you come back from that experience, uh, you know. You're, I imagine you have a, you're, you're you have a pretty solid experience base now that you think is going to transfer to law enforcement. I guess like a lot of people coming out of the military, that's. What do you do? Yeah. You know, come out of the military, come out of contracting. What do you do? Law enforcement. Enforcement. Law enforcement or fire, you know, something like that. Um, for me, it was the law enforcement side, again, because that's something that I always thought about as a, as a child. I didn't, I tried the college thing for a little bit. And what, 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 uh, what did you try? University of Phoenix, man. I mean, <laughs> what, 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 like, what, what career path did you have in I, mind? I want to say it was right in line with law enforcement, criminal justice or something like that. Uh, yeah, it was criminal justice, and I just, I'm, I'm not a college guy, man. I, I not a school it. guy. I get it. <laughs> I, I like what I like, and I excel at what I like yeah. because it piques my interest. It's it's like, boop, activation, it's on, and I'm learning. But if it's something that, and, it, and it's, even if it's challenging, but if it's something where it's not interesting, and it's not that I'm stupid, it's, I just you have a hyper squirrel. I fucking have a hyper attention deficit yeah. disorder or some shit. I, that's like that's, most of us. Like do. most of us do. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I just can't do your conventional, you know, school route. That doesn't mean I was like in high school. I was actually a really good student, and I stayed out of trouble for the most part. But it was so boring. Yeah. It was just boring. I didn't want to do it. I didn't want to so specifically coming out of a place where you were, you know, doing shit somewhere, and all of a sudden you find your place. Uh, you find yourself in a place where. No, you're not doing anything yeah. of that. All, all that, that adrenaline right. dump you were yeah. getting and all that, you know, uh, stimulation, stimulation yeah. is gone. gone. It, yep. Sit yeah. down and let's, let's talk, talk about, about uh, the criminal yeah. justice system. I was bored out of my mind. Absolutely fucking bored. And I just couldn't do it. And uh, this was, this was um, something I tried for, literally I gave up really fast, like maybe two, three months, and I gave up. I'm like, That's this enough. is not for me. It's yeah. not. It's just going to be a big waste of time for everyone. Um, that's why I applied. I applied and I had a secret clearance and a very short work history. You know, I had military contract work and that's it. Um, at the time it was also, um, a time when the, the chief that was sitting in, it was Branton, uh, was doing a mass hiring. Yeah. He was, uh, I mean, I can imagine he was seeing a lot of people that are coming out of that experience and like, oh, this is, this is the opportunity. time. Yeah, it could be an opportunity. Um, but not only that, I know at the time, uh, LAPD was having trouble. And uh, a lot of it had to do with, with manpower. Yeah. They, didn't, they didn't have the manpower. And one of the things that he, I guess, vowed was that he was going to bolster the numbers, the patrol numbers. So I was part of that mass hiring exodus. Um, but what's a hiring process like, you know? So, yeah. so back then it was backgrounds, it was polygraph, it was. Polygraph. Uh, well, I've had, yeah, I've so had I, a few so of those. I, um, <clears throat> I used to get polygraphed every 
every year or every you know every six months. And I had to go through an FBI uh, like polygraph test for, to get access to shit. That was out here. Yeah. Okay. So like I've I've been through a lot of them, and I've saw a lot of people go through them, and a lot of them pass it, and then it turns out they're like <laughs> it's horrible so, people. So so what? So they pass it because they know how to control their body? Nah, they passed it because they knew that polygraphs are basically looking for admissions. Yeah. And you know when I got to go through some of the polygraph uh, polygraphist training here, and I just got to you know there was a thing they would do. They would sit you down for the polygraph exam. You know, they put the pucker thing and the finger and chest. Oh, yeah. They put it on your butt, too? Yeah, yeah the, 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 a donut. A donut, yeah. Right? Hemo, hemo donut. And they would uh, put, uh, they put, put 10 cards in front of you. And I remember they did this to me, and I was like, fucking mind-blown. Then I learned a trick. So they would put 10 cards in front of you, sit down, and then say, well, you're going to look at one of those cards. You know, you... You open up one of those cards, and it's like a seven, you know, and put it down. I'm going to ask you which, if you pick card number one, card number two, card number three. Even if I ask you if you the card you picked, say, say no, all right? So card number one, no. Card number two, no. Card number three. Card number seven, no. And then the polygraphs, oh, well, it was a number seven card. Holy shit. How'd you know? You know, oh, the, 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 my equipment works. They're all number seven cards, you know? <laughs> so it was, I remember seeing that trick and I was like, mother. <laughs> so, you, so you get a polygraph, background check. Uh, what's the training process like? And, and, you know, I asked about the training process because, I mean, you're coming off experience yeah. and I, I imagine there's some like, fuck, man, I have to go through this process. I'm a boot again. Yeah, I'm yeah. a fucking green bota again. Um, so, so back to the hiring process, though, it it was very streamlined for me. So it took me about three to four months to get hired. Typically, it takes about a year, um, okay. not more, depending on your background. So I got hired really fast, really quickly. Matter of fact, when they called me and they said, hey, do you, you know, congratulations, um, we've accepted you. Do, do you want to come to the academy? It was a week before the academy date because okay. somebody dropped out and... Typically, they give you a month to prepare. They didn't give me shit. They're like, uh, yeah, can you start in yeah. less than a week? I'm like, yeah. So I quit my job at the time. Where you work? What, what, what were you doing? Home Depot, brother. Fucking A. <laughs> I was working oh, at Home, Home Depot. Depot. Yeah. Um, I was working for Home Depot for two days. <laughs> and then That's I quit. Enough. Then That's I, enough. That was enough for me. Similar to college. Home Depot, college, same thing. Yeah. Um, so I had to quit because I had, I had told them, hey, I'm in the process, so this is kind of a temp job. Like, yeah, we just need a temp anyways. I was very temp. Two days temp. Two days Two temp. days temp. Um, got hired. The process, so the academy. Um, back to what you said. Yeah. Coming from a military boot camp, especially the Marine Corps, where it was very active, a lot of, a lot of physically grueling things, um, it, the physical portion was very simple. Yeah. Uh, they don't expect a ton, which is actually a shame. If you ask me, what 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 were the uh, fitness standards? Yeah, what were the fitness fitness standards? Don't be a fat slob, I guess. Um, like how many how many pull ups? There's none. Holy shit! None. We had to do ten. We had to do fucking ten. Now now pull ups were a plus though. If you did pull ups, yeah. it would kind of help. You know, your resume wow. look a lot better. But it oh, was not just a, a resume. One? It didn't. It how wasn't about, how many? Uh, push ups yeah. were a thing. Um, I, it was push ups with your fists. So your partner would have to you know fist push. It's similar to the army yeah. army standard. Um, I want to say it was like 11 was the minimal. 
and the max Ooh. the max was damn i should have gone I 55 gone, maybe i should have gone over there instead yeah right 11 minimum 55 most and now i'm kind of throwing numbers that i remember i'm not yeah. don't quote me people i don't remember if it's exactly that um, sit-ups was another one and then running was the biggest thing we need to run yeah so you need to run yeah we would yeah. always run we would run all the time so as long as your cardio was okay you were fine um and then there was oak courses like you would do different obstacle courses those were fun and that, those were pass or fail in the academy supposedly but i've seen people couldn't even fucking jump the fence and they fucking passed so <laughs> just walk around just walk around. yeah right <laughs> i'm the smart one i'm gonna walk around it um how long is this uh Academy, LAPD Academy specifically um, at the time was, I want to say seven or seven and a half months. So it's Monday through Friday, normal business hours, very early, you get off around four o'clock. Um, are, are you, are you, it's not an internment thing, right? You're just going there doing that, doing your day of training and leaving every leaving, day. Yeah, leaving every day. You, you don't, you don't house there. It's not internment, no. Um, you have the weekends off. You get paid to be there. Like That's, this is a job. This the is academy, a job. Academy is a job. a job. However. I was a hermit crab during that time. What, what do you mean? I didn't go out, hang out with friends. You were just fucking. I was at home, or I was at the academy. What are we doing at home? Were you fucking meditating in front of a fucking statue of like <laughs> this one right here? Actually, <laughs> what were you doing? What were you doing at home? Most just of the most of the brooding, time, like Batman. <laughs> Uh, a lot of push-ups and pull-ups. That's what we, we just tried working on. Yeah, so, that's so I, I, yeah, I would work out on my physical stuff, um, but most most of the time I spent studying because I'm a dumbass. Yeah, I'm, I have to study. I'm not a type of person that'll learn something, I'll see it and go, I know it already. I have to study. Yeah, I have to study. So specifically, anything that has to do with testing. If I if there's a test put in front of me, like an actual written test, I have to study. You have to study. I have to study. I have to study. So all the learning domains that we had to do, I spent. A, studying weekends, doing physical stuff i just wouldn't go out i didn't want to get caught because i knew i knew all these horror stories so of, you're, you're so you're, which which hand was the strongest at this time because if you're a hermit crab which is this one or which is that one <laughs> well th this one was more for um uh you you know the uh what is it called when you put it to sleep um yeah the, the stranger the stranger yeah the, the stranger. left one was the stranger the, the right stranger. one was very strong was it was it a was it a moment of uh, you know, chosen celibacy in that in the, during that period or, or or were you you know trying to figure shit out? So I already had a girlfriend at the time, and sorry, but I kind of used her as a teacher. Like she would she would be the one that would do the flashcards for me. She did all the organization stuff for me, and then once I graduated boot camp, I kind of dumped her. Oh no, that sounds really bad. It's okay. It's okay though. Like it, uh, you know, people come in and out of our lives. I I, ne I needed kind of clarity at the time. I wanted to focus on law enforcement, and I didn't want to have that outside, you know, um, the thing. She wasn't a thing, but that that the relationship kind of yeah. being on the back of my mind, um, especially so young in my career. Yeah. How old are you when you're going through this academy? Uh, twenty one, almost twenty two. Fuck. Uh, Twenty one, almost twenty two. That's the same, same, same age yeah. as I was going through that shit. The yeah. uh, you, you're adapting to this new role, law enforcement, you know, and also it's a it's a weird one because now you're basically back home. You know, it's yeah. like some shit you have to do now back home. Yeah, it was. Uh, Are you getting any shit from your, you know, from some of that family that uh, <laughs> around you, so that uh, you grew up with? So by then, because. Uh, that was one of the questions that was hit in my background was like, 
Do you have any, you have any family, yeah. family you have any fa- that did somebody's shit? Do you have any family members that are in the AMA or any family members that are gang members? Do you have any family members that are rapists? You know, you love your mother. Are you in love with your mother type shit? You know? Yeah. I, um, do you hear I had to disclose all that. And yeah. uh, they're like, all right, well, do you still communicate with them? I'm like, absolutely not. Well, what's their names? Okay. Date of birth. So like, I don't remember. Where are they being held? Okay, that I do know. Um, I found out through the grapevine that they weren't necessarily proud of me. But they didn't, they weren't. It wasn't like a, this motherfucker. No, no, no. It was, it was, it was actually it was quite like, the opposite. It was more like, all right, cool. You're not in this lifestyle and good for you. But yeah. don't talk to me. Yeah. You know, um, and remember, these, these are family members that are committed multiple murders. And they're, 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 looking, at, they're looking at death row type shit. Yeah. And um, this was all in my hometown. What was your dad saying about your, your, your process? So he absolutely hated it, too. Why? Because uh, I went from one thing that was dangerous to another thing that was dangerous to another, another thing, thing that that's was gonna dangerous. Be da- it's not only dangerous, but it's also really close by. Very close by. So it's not like going spurts of danger. Like yeah. in, in the military, you know, you're not in constant danger. You go out, go do out, your shit, and you come back. Very dangerous out there. Not so much over here. And here it's like you're going out there every day. To pretty pretty much every day is like, what's going to fucking happen? Now, the, the level of intensity of danger is not the same, obviously. You know, I'm not in gunfights constantly out in the streets. Like, yeah, but, but, it's, but it's like a late, it's a, you know, there's shit going on out there. People shot. get shot in the face on a traffic stop. Uh, somebody, you showing up somewhere and not even knowing, and the dude walks up behind you and just fucking shoots your shit. The easiest up. way I put it is to people, and I was having this conversation with a bunch of young cats um, that, that go to my jiu-jitsu gym, because um, they, they're getting, they just got out of the military too, and they want to do law enforcement. I'm kind of like mentoring them and helping them. One of them just got accepted. Um, uh, to, to LAPD actually and uh, I think he starts like in a month and he was asking me questions like well what's the difference between there and here and I couldn't give him a definitive answer but the one thing I did tell him was out there you kind of know who the enemy is and you kind of yeah. know what direction to point the guns and you know you know people in uniform and whatnot out here you have no fucking idea who's who in the zoo it could be grandma it could be fucking grandpa it could be a domestic violence call that you go to that you think you're help and it's you know the boyfriend or the girlfriend that's shooting you or it's it's so it's weird. A, it's a weird it's a weird thing. Yeah. The uh your dad hated your job, you know, just my mom hated my like my choice in that. <laughs> like most of my most of my friends stopped talking to me. Yeah. You know, I had a lot of my friends were like fucking punk, you know, skateboarding kid. Fucking sell out. There's a there's a there's a song by Dos Minutos, which is like a South American punk band. Uh, and it goes, Carlos se vendió al barrio de la luz, el barrio que no vio crecer. Is that your theme song now when you wake that's up? My, that's my theme song. It was basically a song about a dude that sold out and went to work for the for the fucking police. Okay. And then they say, there's a chorus in that song where, una bala en la calle espera por Like a bullet is waiting for you in the street. Okay. And they would fucking say that shit wow. to me. Okay. <laughs> Yeah, um, with friends like those. Well, you know, we we were young and stupid, and uh, you know, you you grow out of people like that. I guess. Funny you say that because uh, everyone that I went to high school with that I considered my friends, um, in the military, I kind of stayed in contact with them. Especially when I would come home, you know, and visit family. We would all hang out. We'd go and do shit. You know, debauchery left and right. And then as soon as I joined. Law enforcement. Talk to them. 
they all just stopped talking to me. Yeah, and it's not because they considered me a sellout or, you know, like Carlitos or whatnot. Um, it's more because we had completely grown apart and there was there's nothing to, to there's no, there's no nothing to talk about nothing basically. to talk about how's your dad good how's yours cool cool all right see you in 10 years again like there was nothing to there was no common ground there was none there, there was no it's not that we disliked each other it's just no common ground there's nothing to talk about you go through the lapd training program seven months about seven months yeah what's your first day on the on the street like Uniform, uniformed patrol on I the street. Have a really good story. Okay, let's uh, let's, let's let's hear this so first day. I um, <laughs> my probation, so probationary period. Um, you spend a year at a set um, division. We call them divisions, or on the East Coast they call them precincts or whatever. They yeah, call them. you're you're in your probationary our, division. Our probationary division. It's uh, Southwest, which is um, you seen the movie Training Day. Yeah, I so it's it's uh, you remember the cul-de-sac area that's the area that i'm working king, okay. king and crenshaw um off of uh the 110 freeway you know okay. the, the the king exit and um first day on probation uh wear my you know class a uniform long sleeve tie clip on tie of course you don't want to get strangled no, you don't want to get strangled with that bitch and um here i am green as fuck shaved head and the first call we get the first call um, I forget the name of my unit. It was, it's irrelevant. Um, man breaking glass and windows, um, completely nude. Mm. I'm like, mm. what's happening here? And training officer looks over at me and he goes, have you ever dealt with PCP? PC who? <laughs> like, what? Oh, you haven't? Yeah. I'm like, not in person, sir. I go, just what they taught us in the academy. Oh, you're gonna have a good time. Super proud. Yeah, super. He goes, "You have your gloves?" I go, "I do, sir." And I start throwing on my leather gloves, and he goes, "No, no, no, not your, not your leather gloves. Uh, protection gloves, like from, Flu- for fluids. For fluids, yeah. Mm. From you know, bloodborne pathogens." I'm like, "Oh yeah, I took that class too." Let's <laughs> put on that I'm shit. Put them on. He goes, "You have extras, right?" I go, "Yeah." He goes, "Those are my rip, so put another set on." Put on another set. I'm like, "What the fuck am I getting into?" And uh. You know, I get on the radio. I go, show's responding. And uh, she, the dispatch is giving us updates as we're going code three. Um, you know, the man is now breaking, you know, windows with his head. I'm like, what is happening here? Oh, just head bunting cars. Left elbow, right elbow. And all over. And we, we hear other units. Show's responding, show's responding. I'm like, oh, cool. We have backup. Cool. Like, how much do we need for one fucking person? One naked motherfucking one naked guy. Two of us, you know? We get there, and dude was fucking shroomed out, man, on a fucking good one. And he was just breaking windows, talking to himself, throwing fucking gang signs up to God and shit. I'm like, what the hell? Like, this is crazy. He goes, hey, get the beanbag. I'm like, all right, cool. Beanbag around the fucker. <laughs> I'm like, all right, cool. I'm ready, dude. First day on the job. I'm going to fucking shoot somebody with less lethal. I'm like, this is fucking awesome, dude. I, this is what I signed up for. Just don't shoot him in the head. Just don't shoot him in the eyes and the face. No, and the head. no, no, no. Not the, in the crotch. The not the no crotch. That. Yeah. 
Nothing in this area. Nothing here. Nothing I think here. you can. You another know. story for another day, actually. It's I'm going to tell you about that one, we, too. We, we got, when, when we were active, we got beat rounds. We did not get that uh, that warning. Okay, yeah. Don't shoot him in the face. I'm like, no, that's, we're not the best that's place to shoot him. The place to shoot him. Yeah. Yeah, the dude with the beanbag coming out of his eyeball. Uh, so oh, yeah. you have the beanbag round. We got the beanbag. I'm You're ready. New. You're like, this motherfucker, this, this avatar motherfucker. Yeah. Just like a, Doing all sorts of fucking funky shit, dude. He's dancing. He's doing the dancing. He's still breaking windows. I'm like, all right, we got to do something about this guy. And everybody shows up, and we're like, hey, hey, sir. I'm a fucking yeah, dumb. Sir, 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 sir butt-ass naked. Hey, sir, with your dong out, can you turn around, please? He looks at me, and he's like, he starts fucking running. I'm like, Damn. oh, fuck. And this guy was, he he's was cut. way well-endowed, too. Oh, okay, so you, like, a, yeah. Fucking okay. everywhere. I'm like, all right, dude. Mr. Like, Snuffleupagus there running around. <laughs> he's running, and he runs up to this tree. Starts fucking climbing. The tree. He's, this motherfucker is cl- naked, climb, naked, climbing naked, a tree now. Climbing a tree, and, and this is your first, you're you're trying to figure out your first experience out there. I'm still enforcing trying to, the law. Still trying to figure out if you know where Jesus is, and here I am fucking chasing a naked <laughs> guy. And uh, and this wasn't just a normal tree. This tree had fucking like tree bark that was sharp and jagged. Yeah, pointed out of pointed it. Pointed out of it. I'm like, Ugh. there's there's branches. I'm sorry, not branches. Roots that were uprooted because this is you know South Central and. The cement was all undone. and The roots were fucking everywhere. Like, the tree beat the cement. And, uh, and he's climbing up this fucking tree. And he's probably a good, like, 10 feet up. Fuck, like, how did he get up here so fast? And here I'm running with all my gear. <laughs> I'm, like, I'm like, okay, I'm a, uh, sir, get down. And he's not listening. And he's touching the leaves. And he's, all he's saying is this. Green, 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 green. That's all he was saying. Green, green. He's As fine. he's touching. He's, he's fine. He's touching. He's focused on green. He's just touching the leaves. Green, 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 green. He's the vegetarian now. He's, he's, fucking, he's probably a vegetarian. <laughs> green, 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 green. And we're like, okay, what do we do? And I'm, I'm about to beanbag him. And my T.O. looks at me and goes, don't you fucking beanbag him. If, he, if you shoot him and he falls, it's on us. Yeah. I'm like, darn. Okay. I'm like, what do we do then? Let's just try to talk to him. And at this point, the whole to, division's there now. Trying so to negotiate. We're all trying. Yeah, we had to call a fucking negotiator. And uh, another guy's like, I have a taser. I'll tase him. I was like, it's the same as me. It's the same, the same thing. It's going to fall and just smash his head. Smash his head. I'm like, I'm like, all right. And um, he's again, he's focused on green. I'm like, green, 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 green. One of the guys there goes, hey, bud, there's some green down here. And he pointed at the grass. And the guy stopped. Holy shit, more like green. Like a green. Green and he fucking threw himself off the tree. Bam. People bounce, by the way. Yeah, people bounce. Yeah, people yeah, bounce. Bouncy people. Bouncy people. This little fucking flesh pod just boom bounced. And he just started touching the grass. Well, on the way down, one of those uprooted oh no. Land he landed where his the inside of his leg, like the thigh area, was just completely open. Ooh. It looked like those pictures that you show during um, counter custody. Yeah, um, where I'm it's sorry like, about that. Yeah, no, no, I, I love them. The flail um, open, flail open. Yeah, it was it was a, an exact replica photo of that where you could see the the yellow tissue, the fatty tissue. The fatty tissue. You, I was able to see a little bit of bone, and the guy tried to prop himself up because he's fucking high as fuck on PCP. So what do good little cops do? We just start dogpiling, talk, pop, 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 pop. <laughs> To pin him down, and then we end up getting a hobble. We have to hobble him because he's just like fucking ridiculously strong. And this guy probably weighed a good buck thirty. 
about yeah. 40. But he's but slippery. He's Slip, fucking naked. Slippery all naked. All the advantages. Light, lightweight. Lightweight. <laughs> Remember uh, uh, Family Guy? Uh, Never gonna catch me. Yeah, the naked guy. The naked covered guy. In, covered Co- in oil. Yeah, covered in oil. <laughs> that was him. Only it wasn't oil, it was blood and sweat Shit. and whatever fecal matter he had on him. And here we are dogpiling on top of him. We finally take him into custody. Um, FD paramedics are standing by because they never come in until we clear the scene. Clear the scene. They come in and we're like, what are we going to do with this guy? They throw him on a gurney. And again, I'm the probationer. So the ambulance looks at us and goes, well, somebody needs to ride in the back with us. And my T.O. goes, well, kid, jump the fuck in. <laughs> fuck. I'm like, can I take the beanbag? I'm like, no. I can't take the beanbag. <laughs> We cuff him onto the gurney, and he's still green, green, green. And he's bleeding, so they had to kind of like tourniquet him up or whatever it was that they were using. I, thought, I, I know paramedics don't like to use tourniquets. It's like a yeah, it's like a, but it's probably an elastic band. It's like an elastic band, more things, something to stop the bleed. Um, and then they sedate him on the drive there because he was just going bonkers. So that was day one. That was day one. <laughs> fucking chasing a naked guy that chasing. flailed his fucking leg open on PCP. On PCP. That's LA. That's LA. That's, yeah. And that's there's it's more and more common these days, actually. Wow. When I say more and more common, I mean the drug use, the 5150, the whole that shit crazy, you know, yeah, people. combative people. The, uh, the fentanyl and not only the fentanyl, but also the uh, psychiatric issues that some of that shit causes some people, or it also does. the fact that some people have are already already psychiatric yep. and they're just out of, out on the street. Uh, this uh, this period of time, you know, you are you know working in LA now as a as a cop. This um, what's the public sentiment at that time around police? Um, so <laughs> I'm just gonna say it. I worked in an area where the police were not. Liked. Yeah. They weren't liked very much. Um, working in South Central, it was um, particularly in the areas that I was working in uh, were either uh, black in descent or Hispanic, like either Mexican, Salvadorian, or a mixture of, of either one. Most people, most um, people there were just hardworking people. They just wanted to work. But the people that we had to deal with yeah. were not that. Yeah. It's not like I was dealing with hardworking people i was dealing with criminals what was most of, most of the uh what was most of your calls about um if it was radio calls it was mostly um uh, burglaries uh auto thefts um we would get some like rape investigation a lot of rape investigations in that area for some reason um but uh, a lot of the observation work like the actual pedestrian stops and vehicle stops were all gang, gang related all gang related. guns Guns, money, dope, trafficking of certain items. Now, uh, at that time, what was the uh, what was the drug on the street like? Is it, was it a, a, probably meth and uh, a few other? So meth, meth was heroin? meth was coming up big. Heroin, not so much not in so the much. area that I was in. The area that I was in, it was big on PCP. Believe it or not, still PCP. A lot of dipped, a lot of vials. Uh, some chemist out there, some, fucking some, making yeah. bank, yeah. basically making bank off a of tiny little fucking vials. A lot of cigarettes were dipped, and they would sell them as individual cigarettes too. Little brown. Would they mark them? Um, they, they would. The way you could see them is when they would lift them, they had a different discoloration, uh, and they knew. And then, or they would have them flipped upside down, and they knew the upside down ones were the good ones, and the, the other ones were yeah, you know, the laced ones. They, they used to do that here too. Yeah. Where they, you would get a you know a packet, and they would say uh, the flipped one was for the uh, for the for the saint. Yeah. 
but to, to, to talk to the saints. To talk to the saints. Yeah. You're like, what's what was that? What's up with that uh, that uh, reverse one? Yeah. It's to talk to the saints. Yeah. I didn't know. I didn't know what that meant till you know somebody fucking smoked one of those and went to talk to somebody. I guess. Well, I didn't. I didn't realize that either until you know because <laughs> I I started working with a yeah. a narco expert um, my, when I was on probation and that's what he was telling me. Yeah. All the little small details that look for, but a lot of it was uh, drug. Uh, and the drugs that were there were, like I said, PCP, uh, a lot of a lot of crack cocaine, yeah, a lot of crack cocaine, and it was usually um, sales distribution of crack cocaine. What did it look like up up there? Like uh, down here, it looked like uh, almost like dried cheese squares. So so um, like we would get a, a mixture of not not the brownish stuff. So the brownish stuff was more down this way, I guess. Yeah. Um, we would get the off white. Um, some of it looked like. Like blue cheese, almost. Yeah. Very, very crumbly, and then we also had the the off white uh, hard rock, uh, and it was always, always, always for the most part in tiny little baggies that were yeah. rolled up, transparent baggies. Yeah. Um, Here we had blows. They would just put them in piece of plastic, and then just with a lighter, they would heat them to okay. like a single dose, you know. Uh, and you, they would call them globos, and they would just every, they would, would you arrive, and they would just fucking toss. You, are you talking about like in the liquor stores they sell the tiny little fake flowers in the yeah. little pipe? Yeah, um, they would never. So the, the dealers there would never sell any of the paraphernalia. They would only sell the actual product. Yeah, they didn't want to get caught with both. The, yeah, yeah, they didn't want to get caught with both. Um, and it was usually it, for the dealers, the gang members, the dealers. It was in areas of their body that I didn't want to get into, anyways. But I, as a trainee, I had to. Yeah. Um, so in the, the cazuela, in the, in the cazuela, the prison the ca, wallet. In the cazuela, the cazuela, we would say like, "Te revisan la cazuela." Like la cajuela? No, no, la, la cazuela. cazuela. <laughs> what do you mean la cazuela? Donde les traen los huevos? You know where they where they where the eggs get cracked, oh. basically between the anus and the balls. That's the cazuela, you know. So uh, we had guys that would do it there. We had guys that were actual in the anus itself. We had guys in the mouth. A lot of them in the <clears> mouth. Yeah, and uh, there's a there's a there's a, there's a a thought that a lot of people have if you make them squat they'll drop everything they have there's some people that have some fucking control they're tight they were there's a, a c yeah. you know i remember this guy we caught once nearby we're, we're actually nearby one of the major sales points of fucking narcotics here in tijuana we caught this guy skinny dude motherfucker was like you know one of those some of those guys that are just like i thought he was naturally just fucking ripped you know, he had this, you know, six pack on him. Cum gutters. They're called cum gutters. <laughs> this motherfucker, uh, he had some shit on him. You know, we knew he had cash and coins, you know, so that motherfucker was dealing somewhere. Okay. He thought he might dip it somewhere. So we put him in holding. He starts doing, you know. Yeah. He's not dropping anything. And I keep looking at him. And remember the movie, uh, The Hulk, the first one where he, they had uh, Edward Norton? The, Edward Norton, yeah. where he was training with this Gracie yeah. guy, yeah. and he was he was the, doing bre the, the breathing technique, the breathing yeah. technique, yeah. Well, this, which is real, by the way, the, which is real, yeah. the same thing, but there was some sort of attachment to the the, the you it, it was like a chicken that was about to lay an egg. Okay, I could see prairie dogging down there. I was seeing his clown eye, you know, his uh, the star of a thousand points. Like a few times, the, the, like the, the anime, the baloney knot. Oh, the baloney know? knot. I, like I was that. seeing it. I was like, this motherfucker's holding something in there. <laughs> And like I wasn't new back then, you know. I had new people there, so I said, "Hey, new guy, you're a paramedic, right?" Yeah, yeah. What's going on? <laughs> and I remember, like, we it was a it was a piece of dental floss, 
that came out just a little bit. And it was just, it was like a magic trick. <laughs> <laughs> it was just, uh, I think we found something. We were holding him now and it started. <laughs> and finally found this giant uh, sausage made out of, you know, something. You know, I don't, I, I don't remember exactly what it was. I think it's probably a lot of meth. Okay. Probably. Uh, but yeah, that, 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 uh, that what we have to give up as far as boundaries, personal boundaries, as far as what we are able to do and what we think we are capable of doing. So, so capable of doing and able to do, or even willing to do it for us at least was a little bit different than maybe you guys out here. Yeah. We didn't, um, nobody gave a shit. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, we couldn't do cavity searches. Yeah. We could do, you know, some form of pat down for search. Um, and if it led to something, because we we based off training experience, yeah. and yes, but typically, and it, it wasn't the dealers that we caught with the dope; it was the runners that we would catch with the dope. So, you know, the hook would bring them in, and then they would go and get the dope from someone else, and they would leave the money in another location, and then the dealer would give them. Yeah, they just they, they, they did the whole detachment thing they, exactly. Yeah. So there was like a line. Um, but from time to time, we would find the dealers with the larger, the larger bodies of now, like you know, who's dope. Back then, who's running it? Like uh, you, you're, you're talking, you're, you're basically attacking distribution. So, so there was there was a lot of rumors back then. Yeah. Um, and after I got to know you, and I got to know some of the other people, <laughs> those rumors were like, "Oh shit, this must be true." This, mu this is must um, be where it comes so from. There was a lot of because uh, at the time, especially like the the PCP stuff, we knew we caught some of the guys that were actually making PCP out of their own backyards yeah, and, that, you know, that, trailers like some chemists somewhere some making... chemists yeah um and then the the meth we knew was coming from down south we just didn't know from where what what uh what did it look like you know like very a... very um like think of um crystallized salt yeah um, but it was a lot longer yeah it was a shard um, shard in charge in charge form. form yeah, yeah. Is, it, it it was probably made but somewhere in the east side of the city. And that's what we were thinking, too, because that's what the, our people would tell us, hey, this is coming from people that are transporting it from down south. I'm like, down south, down south where? And, yeah. And like, 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 you know, like the beach? Like, no, no, no. <laughs> like down south. Yeah, down like, south. Oh, okay. Um, and then we did have a lot of, um, like, I know some of the tar that was brought in. It was very rare. That was actual, you know, from Mexico. Was um, it uh, was it the basically it looked like tamarind? Yes, the, the stinky tamarind. So the brown the brown tar, yeah. Um, yeah, so it, it looked like that. Yeah, yeah. You 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 know and the the connection there. I think you know from back then we would see people bring it uh, from places like you know Michoacan and uh, some of the, the clandestine laboratories you would have in Sinaloa and other parts of the uh, other parts of the country, even in Tijuana itself, where you would get these high quality shard. Meth, meth crystals, and they would be brought here. And there's a reason why there's a lot of body shops in Tijuana, <laughs> and it's not because of the cheap, uh, you know, cheapness of it, but because this is this is where a lot of them, a lot of the cards get loaded. Yeah. yeah. And anybody that has, you know, a need for money, you know, you would you would have kids that wanted to have some cash, and they would load up a car, and if they had somebody that would regularly cross cross into the United States, and had like an excuse for it, they would kind of use that. Or sometimes they would use these, uh, you know, blind, uh, blind mules. Basically, yeah. uh, they would load. Hey, your mother crosses to the U.S. every day to to work uh, in San Diego. Oh, cool. And they would load up her car yeah. without her knowing. Without her they would have, and that's. I remember 
some of my interactions with law enforcement in the U.S. I would go out there or where they would do cross-training and stuff like that and just sharing pictures of some of the stuff we'd find down here. And it's like, oh, that's where it comes from, you know? <laughs> or this is where this is, this is the same shit that we're finding up there. Um, you, you know, you're working in this... That's, it's, it's an interesting... I mean, for me, it's the, the, the similarities of, of, LA, of L.A. as a city in Tijuana mm -hmm. as far as how... You know, it's so diverse. Um, I remember going to Los Angeles probably in 2008. Um, 2008, 2009, was it? 2000, was it 2008 or 2009, I think. I was working uh, <coughs> a specialized unit by then. That was off probation 2008, 2009. Yeah, it, it, uh, and, and then going up there now. Do, do you remember what area? I mean, I was, uh, I remember uh, being, uh, work, uh, we had, we were up there with a, a protect, doing a protection detail for yep. a governor. So I remember being around uh, consulate or anything like that. Yeah. Okay. And uh, and also we would uh, we would go in and out of the airport, LAX, and you know, drive around some of the areas around there, which were interesting. Um, but I remember the uh, the change of it as far as it is now. Uh, you know the um, the mass amount of homeless people just everywhere kind of uh camping out and being on fentanyl is basically this is, is, is the uh, is the going kind of like a the drug did you, when you were out there doing that when you, you talk about being in a specialized unit yeah did you get to witness that uh that kind of change in the environment as far as more homeless people showing up um more permissive uh, laws being put into place and politics being put into place. Can you talk a little bit about yeah, that? Yeah, of course. Um, when, when, especially working LAPD, when people and cops and anyone in general would talk about homelessness, we would always think of one place, downtown LA. Yeah, like, that's, oh, yeah, that's, 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 that's where that's, they no, hang out. Skid Row. You know, everyone hangs out there, all the homeless. Mm -hmm. So did we have homeless or homelessness in the areas that we worked? Yeah, but it was mostly just like a few crackheads here and there. Um, it wasn't like encampments of, of homelessness like you see now. So whenever we did have like homeless people roaming around doing stuff, we would either get them help or we would get them out of there. Yeah. Mostly, you, you, get, mostly you, get them out of there. You had, you had, uh, we had pockets of, you know, small little pockets, but you, you could get them out of there. Yeah, basically get them out of there. Yeah. Was there, you know, the process, like what the, the process was like. Yeah, it back, was back then. As far back as, then, it was like somebody squatting in front of my business and like, hey, dude, there's a guy outside my my business and he's peeing at the door. And we, we would we would be able to get him for a number of things, and usually um, they were doing that because they wanted a hot in a cot. Yeah. You know, they're like, fuck it, take me to jail. I don't care. Like, I want a house. I want somewhere to sleep tonight, and I want a fucking hot meal. So we would book him and we would take him if we had to. Like, usually if they were. Be like a big nuisance, especially to, you know, because um, quality of life for the citizens there was like the number one thing. Yeah. Um, especially with homelessness. Uh, now it's way different. Yeah. Now it's way, it's like they what, have the what, right to be there. What? They, so like, did you get to experience that change when it, uh, as far as uh, them? Luckily, no, man. <laughs> I was so blessed that when I left um, LA PD um, to what, what I do now, I didn't have to see that so much. Now, what do you think changed as far as oh. as far as like I mean you 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 were there when you could go somewhere and if there was somebody being a public nuisance and and they were doing in it doesn't matter if they had psychiatric issues or were under the influence of whatever 
there was no, they, they didn't have the, uh, the allowance to just fucking encamp out there. So what I've noticed is people that actually have to deal with homelessness or mental illness on a day to day because they, they, you know, they own and operate a business do not want those people there. Yeah. They don't. Like, uh, the people that are protecting them are the ones that never have to deal with it. So we uh, we used to run, we have a product line, mm -hmm. and uh, we wanted to make our T-shirts and, and hoodies and stuff like that. We wanted to keep it made in the U.S. Yeah. And we found a, a company in L.A. to do it. And it's, like, not easy yeah. to, to make anything in the United States yeah. anymore. So we were there, and it's basically a, like a homeless encampment yeah. all around it. And I'm like, holy shit! These guys are not allowing you to do business, and some of them can, some of them break in. Yeah. There's a bunch of shit happening. Like, why isn't anybody doing anything about getting them? And like, they can't. They can't. Like, cops' hands are tied right now when it comes yeah. to homelessness. It's really difficult to do anything. What, 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 what's what's uh, what are they? What are they not allowed to do? Basically, they, they can't just up and move them. They can't arrest them for. Being you know, public intoxication, they can't arrest them for you know uh, trespassing. They can't urinating like, on the street, no. defecating on no. the street. All no, of nobody that wants is... to touch it anymore. It's such a taboo subject that nobody wants to touch it. I mean, trust me, as as a cop, I don't want to touch it I, either. I, I understand, don't. But, but it was a lot easier back then. Yeah, meaning um, we would either have the support structure um, or the backing of our own department to go, hey, let's either hey, get this, this person hey, help and, or hey, move them. Hey, this business, these businesses. Are They're complaining hurting. about these? Yeah. Can we do? Can we do something about that? This yeah. is what we're here to do. We're here to help the public, and the public and, is and crying is, for for need. But it's the but politics. It's the politics. politics. The politics change. Yeah, and it's and it's again, it's never the people that are dealing with. It's never the, the people. Yeah. The, it, they want the people out of there. The, the people are operating there. They go. We don't want this for ourselves. It's dangerous. So we like not to be you know one sided in this, but like the. Uh, who like when you were there? Who were most of the? Who were these? Uh, most of these transient homeless people? They're obviously not from there, maybe, or in people our, that were kind of moving around, moving through. In our area, in the area that I I finally made home, which was the southeast, which is like the Watts area, most of the homelessness there were guys and gals that have been there forever, and they're just drugged out. Yeah, they're either drugged out or they're not. They're touched in the head. Yeah. Or a combination of both. Yeah, and, but, but they were the ones that like, oh, there's, there's Ed, the crackhead. We know yeah. him. Mostly, most, yeah, yeah, <laughs> a little bit. Uh, mostly, basically, mental illness exacerbated by drugs Correct. or alcoholism was another one too. Alcoholism, was yeah. yeah, like big, big, like binge drinkers that just they cannot function and, without alcohol. And now, it is, I, I mean, going out there myself, and I remember I was a, I was at Union Station. Uh, I like fucking taking the surf liner a lot. I don't know why. I think I feel like Harry Potter or some shit like that, I guess. <laughs> um, the going out there and you go through Union Station, it's like you have to have your fucking wits about you. Got to be, you go you gotta be you, ready. Right? Yep. Um, be ready. But young, a lot of youth. A lot of youth. A lot of, a lot of young kids that, uh, you know, the bodies of 17-year-olds, but the faces like a 40-year-old, you know, the, uh, the, the way the, that uh, the drugs are eating them. Again, the, the, the transients and, for lack of a better term, the crackheads that I would deal with on a day-to-day -day were dudes and gals that were, they've been there forever. Older. older They're older. Dude. They're older. They're like 80s generation crackheads that have, you know, they got caught in the wrong thing and they started doing drugs and it's just downward spiral. 
but they my kids live forever, but they're like cockroaches. They oh yeah, do not die. Yeah, yeah. Uh, hero, heroin and crack. They don't it's die. A preservative. Yeah, it's a very yeah. It's a preservative. Yeah, they're like mummified. Yeah, but um, but now but it's, not it, but not but not fentanyl. No, the the change that we started seeing, you know, uh, Tijuana has a giant local drug market. Um, I remember seeing the transference of that drug market from, you know, most of the people were. Most of the sales points were distributing cocaine to the Americans or so to some of the rich clientele, upper middle class people in, in, in Tijuana. F uh, meth to the workers and you know all the others. Weed, which is yeah. funny now that we, the, I remember the weed back then was shit weed, <laughs> and now all the weed is being trafficked from San Diego down to Tijuana, which is great <laughs> fucking weed. Um, but you, we saw the uh, I got to see a little bit about that change. We would find the black tar, uh, like the, the, not black, but very dark heroin balls every now and then we would find them. I remember finding one in a plate in the middle of a room and you could smell that shit from the outside. It's a smell that just stays with you. But we saw the change of that, that, um, that, uh, that turn into a lighter color. Cutting, right? Uh, so what we heard is once weed got legalized in California, and that start stopped being kind of a moneymaker for some of the uh, for some of the gr criminal groups down here. They switched from weed to poppy fields. Okay. But the problem is that a lot of those fields were leached as far as nutrients and shit like that. So the yields that we're getting were not as stinky and as concentrated yeah. as this. Okay. So they would cut it with shit. Okay. So with lighter color, and then somebody let's just fucking put fentanyl in there. So I remember like. Right before I left, we there was, there was a lot of that. The okay. fentanyl cut into into heroin, and you know a lot of a big part of the drug market, specifically in the center of the city in Tijuana, are Americans crossing from San Diego into Tijuana, getting their fix down here, and Rocking going back. back. Yeah, but that that is less and less because they do that shit and they they die. So the, I remember seeing the droves of people that would do that before. They would go into the canal and fucking take a hit in there. That's not the case anymore. And I was like, I was wondering why. And I asked some of the guys that are still on jobs, they're like, well, what happened to the lines of people that would come in and go out? They're dead. A lot of them are fucking dying because they come in, come in fucking OD somewhere in San Diego. Because they're not even smart about it. They don't want to fucking take that shit down here because they're fucking, <laughs> they don't want to get picked up by the Roca down here. Um, but we saw that change. The introduction of fentanyl and what that does for communities like, like this one and, you know, the, the one in L.A., how it consumes people. Um, and also how it pushes people more and more into the... The mental illness portion. Yeah. So you... you uh, how long did you did you spend in that uh, specific field in in, uh, in the LABD? Drugs were not my specialty, and yeah. it wasn't something that I really liked but because most of the people that I dealt with on the drug level was either the dealer themselves, which you know it's they're not the true source of no. the drug; they're no. just they're just a pawn. Yeah. They're doing their job, they're, uh, and yeah. and then the actual end user. I didn't have to deal with anything in between, and nobody wants to deal with the end user. Just nobody does. Yeah. Um, but I did see a, quite a an eclectic group of people in between all that stuff. Um, the biggest thing that I love to do is just gang shit. 
straight fucking like guns, stolen vehicles, G rides, chop shops, shit. Like that was my jam. Now, now that's what I'd love to do. This uh, what type of what what are, what are the gangs out there when you were working there? Um, so the last location that I was in in South uh, Southeast, which is Watts, um, we have all the projects there. Yeah, off of the freeway. Which, so which uh, the bounty hunters. The, the, for the pro- for people don't know what the projects are, um, can you describe some of the architecture in yeah. these places? So they're they're cookie cutter buildings that look very government like. Um, How many stories? So these actually weren't. Uh, they were double deckers. They double weren't deckers. really tall like New York's you know skyscraper type shit. Um, but they all look the same. If you have been inside one of them, you know exactly how all of them the layouts of all layout of all of them. We 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 would do stuff like that. We have kind of some of the same things at the places that we were training that we built exactly one so we would know how to clear all of them basically. <laughs> there there was variations, slight variations, but you knew where the stove was, you knew where the kitchen was, you knew where the bedrooms were. It was a very cookie cutter. Um so we dealt with a lot of the the project gangs. Uh, in, do they in have uh, do they have Alcones down there too? You know the kids in the, in the street corners kind of ch- shouting out anybody that's oh oh police police hi police sh- hi police yeah the whistling the sh- 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 I'm like okay yeah they're, they're calling they I, we knew this yeah. we knew that they were calling us hi police hi police <laughs> like you don't like us but hi police it's like a kid the kid doing the <laughs> <laughs> fucking scream like a fucking cop car it, it would always happen and um, so we had a lot of that and I that was my jam that's what I liked. Okay. I like to deal with the with the gangs in the area. I used to love dealing with, um, and, and it was it wasn't like necessarily us versus them. It was more like I got you this time, you got me last time. No, these are like these are organized groups of people armed, protecting a territory. Correct, protecting a territory and also making money off distribution. I imagine. Of uh, course, there were it, it, it was it was it was kind of a lot of different things. They were a they were protecting their territory, their their community, their tribe. Um, and they truly believe that that area belongs. Yeah, that's, that's a, it's a property. It's their property, according to them. I'm like, this is city property. But okay, this is yeah. your property. There was that. There is also the, the money portion. How do they make money? Yeah. Be it. How, how, how did they? Well, like, the, what was the, the, the main money makers? Were drugs. drugs. Drugs was the main money maker. The other one being um, stolen goods. Uh, a lot of stolen goods. Anything in their area that was... Uh, Everything that wasn't gettable. bolted to the ground, it, you know. On, on a real note, a lot of it was vehicle stuff, a lot of vehicle theft, auto theft. Um, burglaries were big. Robberies were huge. Armed robberies were big. That was a big thing. Armed robberies were a big thing. Um, and then snatching grabs from businesses were big, especially like the cell phone areas. Anywhere where they knew there was a cash cow where people were going like T-Mobiles or Metro Paisa, you know, to go in and pay for your Metro bills. Paisa. Metro Paisa. And go in and pay for your bill, everything was cash there. Yeah, so, so they, they knew. knew. They knew. They knew. Yeah. yeah, they knew. So you, you you talk about uh, them being distributors. Obviously, they're getting their product from you know somebody, and you know the, the, this whole the the weird hand of whoever that is. Did you ever kind of in, encounter that uh, upper hand? Only a handful of times, and that was once we found out that it was an upper echelon person. We had to kind of give it over to the narco unit. Yeah. Like you guys deal with it now. We'll do the initial arrest, or sometimes it would say, "Hey, we're not going to arrest him. Yeah, we're going to keep him for a while. We're going to question him. We'll talk to him, and if he, you know, and may, maybe did, we can make him a new what, informant." What type, what, what type of uh, what type of places did you did you hear as far as these uh, upper hands Sinaloa, basically? Um, some some of it was um, I'm trying to think here. Some of it would come from 
MM members yeah. that had connections to people down here, yeah. down south. And, uh, and then some of it, you could just see it straight up in the streets, the vehicles that people were driving, the type of music that they were playing, yeah. you know, what they were wearing. I go, there's some kind of distribution going on within this yeah. area. And people knew, like, you would get it from these people. Where are the weapons coming from? Like, it, this, is, this is California. I don't know. It's, it's not, uh, rest- not as restrictive as it is now. Yeah. Where are these, uh, what type of weapons and where are they coming from? So a lot of the weapons were stolen. A lot of the like, weapons that we like dealt burglar, with. Burglaries, they, they would go into a house and correct. all of a sudden like you find, oh, look at this. They would either A, target locations where they knew there was guns, for whatever reason they, they stickers, got into. Stickers on the car stickers, outside, yep. motherfucker falling from the range. And blue line type shit, fucking stickers, you know, I own a Glock and a Kimber, I don't call the police in this property type shit. Um, Basically, come, come, come burglarize my house. Come, come burglarize my house type shit. Um, that, we dealt in a lot of stolen fucking firearms. Um, and then... The type of weapons that we would get, it would vary um, from, you know, stop to stop and location to location. But most of the gangsters had handguns. Handguns were easy yeah, to conceal. Yeah. Handguns are easy to conceal. A lot of revolvers were used because the casings wouldn't fall out. And they knew this. They started yeah. catching on. Like, I could shoot someone and the casings would stay with me. We didn't have fucking evidence like that. So they would learn from that. They would get a lot of revolvers, a lot of snub noses, something that's easy to conceal, shit that you like. Yeah. Um, we wouldn't get stabbings too often, but it was mostly like drive-bys and walk-ups um if it was big armory it would it was usually ak's um and a few like ar pistol type shit shit that you could tell that they built themselves yeah they uh, they ordered some of the parts online or some or they cobbled it to get frankenstein they frankenstein they call them frankenstein builds um and um those they would usually use um do actual hits they would go around that's what they did their drive-bys and Shotguns were big too. Shotguns, especially sawed off shit, shit that yeah. was, again, easy to conceal. Something that's like they could hide it. It's an interesting thing because of the con- the connection there, like this Frankenstein bill. The reason I know about Frankenstein bill, or have awareness of that, is because a lot of uh, a lot of these gang members on the U.S. side would actually come down and freelance here for some of the cartel groups, okay. which is a perfect uh, way of doing it. There's a whole history of them, specifically people related to Lamb, basically people. Who, you know, gang members from the U.S. who had experience and who had, you know, at least some familiarity with firearms and they're doing their stuff up in the, in the U.S. Perfect people to bring down here, go and do a hit, and then run back across the board. Did you find that any of those guys had military experience from the U.S. side? Yes. And, and the military, some of them had military experience, and specifically some of them actually came down here to get that training. Yeah. This is something that happened a lot. Uh, there, there, there was a case of a... I don't know exactly where in Tijuana. I don't remember. I think in Lobrera or in, in, in Hidalgo, they found this house that had a underground shooting range with uh, ventilation, like grass catching shit, and like reloading the stations and everything like that. And some interviews with some of the people caught uh, in different hits in, in in Tijuana that had gang affiliations in the U.S. side talk about getting transported to this place where they got trained by you know mercenaries you know israelis and whatever funny funny you say that because um, i know for a while we were getting a lot of uh, gang awareness training within the department and in hindsight when i think about it a lot of the guys that i served with in the military and i start remembering this type of tattoos they had and where they came from they were straight gangsters and they got recruited purposely to (laughs) 
join the military so that when they got out, they could use that training experience to further, you know, their clicas and their, you know, their people. I remember somebody screaming out, and it's not, I, I wasn't there for it, but like somebody, there was a debriefing of a situation that happened somewhere, a shootout. And on the, you know, the, uh, it was cartel guys dressed as federal agents. And I remember in the debriefing and it's reading some of the reports afterwards, one of them was yelling out Overwatch, which I remember that. like it, it like in English, yeah. Overwatch, you know, and that's a, that's such a specific thing it's to yell very out, specific, yeah. you know, and um, yeah, there's, there, there were probably people, uh, you know, doing shit in, in here and in other places that had some of that background to them. You know, we, we have a history of. And rumors of uh, for military members training cartel yeah. people here, here in Mexico, including uh, some pretty interesting IED, um, IED uh, situations where they would set off a car, and then when the emergency services, they would set off the secondary explosion, yes. you know, okay. which is reminiscent of stuff from the Middle East, which yeah. I don't think the Taliban is down here. I think it's probably Americans that learned some shit from the Taliban, you know, doing some stuff. <laughs> But I remember that, uh, that I remember hearing that whole Overwatch. And I've learned about Overwatch by my training with the Americans. Yep. So it was like a, it's a weird thing to scream out, you know. Very specific. Back to, um, you had asked me where are these guns coming from. Uh, another source of information that we had gotten was, again, some of these organizations were sending their own family members or recruits or whatever. Um, associates to the military to work specific jobs where they had access to things yeah. and they would slowly send parts home, slowly send things home or hey, I, I'm, I'm off base with something, you know, come meet us up. And that was new people. They got arrested for that shit on my base. Uh, like what type, like, like, so we, we would find 40 millimeter uh, grenade rounds yep. and we, every time we'd find them, you know, they would, be linked back up to they would walk off a base in the u.s for us the things that um we knew they were getting caught with were items that can easily be disposed of like a one-time use and boom it's gone like the the grenades um a lot of like believe it or not we were a lot of people were taking smokes for some reason like smoke a smoke smoke canisters and smoke yeah yeah it was really weird um but explosives uh were one of them and obviously we would never find them stateside it was probably getting shipped somewhere else we, um, and we, there, remember, those aren't serialized numbers, uh, serialized yeah. items. So it's yeah. like, okay, yeah, we 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 would hear rumors and of of them. You know, there were the, the several uh, giant armories were found in Tijuana, um, and in these armories, we would find things that were probably cobbled together or pieced together from that walked off some military base <laughs> in the U.S. Um, but every now and then, we would hear rumors of uh, firearms actually making their way back. Wow. So going going back up and being found up there with regalia or with things on them that would make them think that they spent some time in Mexico, you know? <laughs> um, they, they, I remember one of them was, um, and this is from my uh, just interacting and talking to them the, as stateside people uh, when we had a good relationship with them. Uh, they had, a, I think it was an AK and a gun. And the guns, uh, the, the 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 gun and the AK both had embellishments on them. 
And <clears throat> those embellishments were done by a very famous guy that did embellishments like that in Mexico. Okay. But they were originated in the U.S. So they were smuggled down to Mexico, embellished, and then sent back. <laughs> you know? There was a, that was a, one of those interesting little phenomena. Um, did any of that follow you home? You know, you're, you're basically working against these people in a, in a place where you're kind of living out of, and there's a, you know... The the uh, I, I mentioned the following you home. I mean, going somewhere and you're off time, and all and all of a sudden seeing a dude that you know. So, so crazy thing about especially work at South Central is um, so think of it this way: South Central is here, in the middle, maybe less than seven to ten miles in one direction is like Beverly Hills. The separation there is like very little. The separation between me, South Central, and where I live, another five to ten miles. For some reason, criminals just like to stay in their spot because they're comfortable. Yeah, that's, that's their place. They're, that's their place. That's it's they're creatures of habit. They don't like to go outside unless they're actively like looking for someone. Which I didn't. I never gave these dudes reasons to fucking hate me. There was always a mutual respect between gangster and cop, at least when I was there. Yeah. Where oh, it's Officer Perez. What's up, officer? What's up? What's up? What's up, fucking Chico? What are you doing today? Nothing, you know. It's getting fucked up. <laughs> you have a gun on you? Nah, not today. Cool. Tomorrow? Not Tomorrow? Tomorrow? Ah, maybe. Uh, you know, I'm cool. I'm cool. So, like, I got to build, you know, working there for years and years, I got to build that rapport with some of the gangs. Nothing personal. Personal. Yeah. Very few times. Did some of the dudes take it personal? Now, did, did you encounter that? I mean, I think it's the same everywhere, where you have people that are in that line of work with you that are basically ex vomiting their personal life and frustrations on the on the job. Yes. You know, you, 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 it you, typically revolves around a few things, financial problems, um, woman problems, um, or alcohol or drug abuse. Yeah. And... And then if, if they have all of those combined, and they go to work, and they go to work, it's a beat fucking the shit out of whirlwind. Yeah. It's fucking bad. And we've had to deal with that shit before. Yeah. We'll name any, any people, but we've had to deal with that shit where they were, we loved them because they were, you know, part of the brotherhood, but yeah, they, 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 they make they, us look bad. They, yeah, that's the thing. They, 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 burn, they burn everybody. Burn and everybody. also they make enemies out of people that were assets at, at some point. Yep, correct. Yeah, the same shit here. <laughs> the, uh, when does that end for you? That uh, which it sounds like something you really like to do, and uh, so why did that end? I I did take a step back from law enforcement. Um, what made you take that step? So I had another opportunity that just kind of fell into my lap. So during the time that I was uh, LAPD, um, I spent a lot of time my free time kind of freelancing, doing executive protection. So. Working in L.A., there's a large opportunity in that area to work There's a for, lot of people with money and a lot of people with influence that don't want to get correct. fucking jacked, correct. basically. Correct. And it's even worse now than it was back then. Uh, it yeah. used to be more like, I want to have a bodyguard next to me because it looks cool. Or I don't want to drive, so can you know? Can we get a cop to drive? Now us? it's a necessity for now, some people. And now it's a necessity. I would venture to say for 90% of fucking people, it is people are getting jacked left and right. Yeah, the, the, I saw this guy... Uh, is a luxury watch influencer guy yep. that says he has to go to the, the the safety deposit box, take out his watch, put it on for an event, and then go back and put it in there because he doesn't want to get uh, jacked in, in Beverly Hills. And a lot of this stems from um, like inside jobs or people that 
are on social media and they post shit. And yeah, they, don't, they, they know. They know. They and they know. go, hey, fucking Jerry and Ed are there. And I know Jerry likes to floss. Let's go fucking get <laughs> some fucking ice, yeah. dude. And it stems from that. Um, but there's a lot of, a lot of, um, the criminals are getting very smart now. And what they're doing is they're, they're going to locations where they know there's money and they follow people. And they either do home invasions or they rob them when they're getting home or they rob them in locations where they feel that those people are vulnerable. There's a lot of that shit happening a lot. So back to my original thing was um, I started doing a lot of executive protection, but my executive protection back then, especially back then, was a lot of uh, dignitary or red carpet events. So the Emmys, the, the Latin Grammys, um, anything that was red carpet where there was a lot of Famous people there present. Who'd you, who'd you, who'd you, who'd you meet? I mean, you can't talk about clients, I know. But those, like, those, yeah. those were just any, most any of, celebrity. I mean, uh, George Clooney. Uh, oh what God. else? I didn't get to meet him in what the sense that doing? we're. <laughs> um, a, a lot of a lot of people that were movie stars that we would just kind of take care of them. Yeah. I wasn't directly there. Uh, they were my they, client. They all have their. They, they have, have their people. own people. Yeah. That wasn't until now that I'm working directly for a famous person, a famous family. Um, I got introduced to them while I was still working at LAPD and it just, we kind of, we grew together and I saw um, this particular family grow and their business grow and they, they offered me a lucrative you know, position. They said, hey, what is it going to take for you to leave that fucking life to come to this? <laughs> yeah. And uh, at the time, um, I, was, I was having a lot of difficulties um, with, my agency as well. Um, a lot of internal stuff. I was getting in trouble all the time. Uh, what, what was the trouble about? Trouble was mostly stemmed off of me doing my job and them not wanting me to do my job. Uh, meaning, Jerry, why are you always getting into fights? I'm like, I'm not the one getting into fights. Fight I am defending myself. Yeah. And I'm just stopping criminals, gangsters, and you know people that are taking it personal now, and they want to fucking fight me. And look, I'm a fucking five nine, a buck eighty, and I don't look intimidating. Yeah. And they go, ah, I size this motherfucker off. I can, I can, I can take, I can I can take, take that little bitch off. Yeah. And uh, and we would fight, and and this would happen constantly. So between that, between um, the opportunities presenting themselves, the opportunities presenting themselves, I just said, I'm, I don't see myself doing this full time anymore. You you have a kid. Yeah. Where where's he in this? Um, He's not there yet. So he is now. Um, at the time when I accepted the position where I'm at now uh, with my with my company, um, my son was really young, but he was he, did he, all he's ever known is did, police life for me. Did he did he did, did his presence in your life change anything? Yes. Um, another reason why I kind of wanted to leave law enforcement was because of my kid. Um, what, I does that, what, what does it feel? What, what, what does that feel like? Like for me, it felt like I my heart. Like, like my heart was now walking around outside of me and I felt vulnerable for the first time in my fucking life. For me, it felt like it used to be not that I was reckless with law enforcement in the sense that, you know, fuck it. If, you know, YOLO, if this is my last fucking patrol time, this is my last. It wasn't that exactly, but I, I almost didn't walk around with fear. Yeah. Um, but then my son came. It's like, I got to be smarter about the way I operate. Yeah. Like I can't just jump out on people anymore all the time. I can't sneak around in alleys, you know, <laughs> hiding my fucking badge and ah police. Yeah. I can't do that anymore. Like I or I have to I have to know pick and yeah. pick and choose my battles. Um because 
this isn't my it's, life anymore. Isn't, yeah, this is not my life anymore. It's this just, kid's yeah, now. It's it, it's his. So um, I did I did have to take a step back and kind of reevaluate it all and go, yeah, I think he probably wants me around a little bit longer. Yeah, he um, <clears throat> you know, the for me it was uh, I was suicidal as fuck all throughout it. Like I was looking for that bullet. Yeah, and I never like I, I'm pretty close, but never found it. And when she was uh, when my kid was born. It was like, fuck, yeah. it's not about me anymore, you know, <laughs> I'm, or, you know, this whole feeling of uh, vulnerability now that it, you know, matters. You, you find these opportunities, you kind of like exit that life. What is triple feed and your training, uh, your training, um, you know, the, your, um, you do a lot of training with and in, in, in both of the uh, law enforcement and civilian world now. Um, you know, have some cool ass fucking videos online of you shooting and doing all this cool ass shit. Um, and you're, I've, I've, I've seen you shoot. You know, the uh, the the culture around firearms right now in the United States is it's an interesting time it to, is. to be in it. You know, it is. Um, and specifically, you know, being somebody from California, you know, and getting the, all the shit that is happening in California as far as the restrictions and a lot of that. You, where does that start for you? As far as like, I'm going to. This is this is something I'm going to pursue as an instructor and start this company called Triple Feed. So for me, it was um, a few things. Um, I, a very early time in my law enforcement career, I noticed that cops don't get training. Yeah, they just don't. So people assume that though. Oh, oh yeah, dude, you're the best shot. shot. No. I, th I think the stats out there are. LAPD in a shooting in an OIS, they probably, and this is just your, your traditional cop, patrol cop. I want to say at one point, the numbers were like, yeah, they hit like 17% of the time. I'm like, bro, what? <laughs> and like, yeah, those are big numbers. I'm like, no, no. I think standards and, and training has evolved a lot more than from when I was in, but because of the lack of training that we had, um, I kind of went out and started finding my own training and paying out of pocket and You're going basically doing things in reverse, you know, all the shit that you were missing. Now you need to, I need is to that where the jujitsu card starts coming, coming into your life or the, the jujitsu, the firearms training, the, just all sorts of stuff started coming. It stemmed from me thinking mm. that I was good at something because mm. I was trained and then realizing, fuck, I suck. <laughs> I suck at everything that I'm supposed to be good at. Yeah. Um, like who 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 was your like? Uh, do you have an instructor like a shooting instructor that you that you kind of like experience and you're like fuck I need to up my game. So I think just being I I would look for instructors or classes and just put myself through it out of pocket and go yeah these these guys are really good okay or the people around me the the individual shooters there the students themselves were really good and I go I gotta up my game. People like like knockout lights like Mike. Yeah, he's one of the guys that has really, really influenced me into being better. You know, being that he's law enforcement himself or prior law yeah, enforcement. Mike uh, runs a he has an Instagram account. Is, Correct. is it back? Uh, is it, it is back. It is back. Yeah. <laughs> he got taken out. He got taken out. Uh, yeah, he got he, sucked. He basically he runs. I mean, for me, like I just I I learn just by watching that account. Uh, he uh, he does a lot of a. Uh, Show me, don't tell me. Basically, instruction. Yeah. He shuts his mouth and yeah. just fucking, just lets the run the gun do, do its work. Yeah, and he, that, that's a it's he, a it's, it's, he's a, has an interesting channel. Obviously, a fucking proficient guy. Yeah, the but seeing people like him for for you know me you know or anybody out there in the civilian world 
it's intimidating sometimes when it you is. see somebody of his level and being that profic- proficient with what he does. And yeah. I'm like, I'm never going to fucking be that, you know? Um, so, so, th- and that's why this is where triple feet comes in. It's funny. Um, so the whole law enforcement and me not being trained made me want to get the training. And then from there being put in charge of training at my executive protection company, the, the family that I protect, we have a big enough structure, infrastructure where I run the training program and I've gone through instructor level schools and I've gone through all sorts of different stuff. And I'm not saying that I'm, I'm good or in, in any sense. I just, I know what I know and I'm I teach well-versed. and I, and I'm, I'm well-versed and I teach what I, what I know. I don't teach outside my scope. And then here during a training course that I was taking, an instructor level training course, I met Brian and Luis, the other members of Triple Feed. Two students as well. There were students? There were students. As students, I met them. One of them, um, uh, Luis, is uh, born and raised in Mexico. And he came out this side and uh, he actually just became a naturalized citizen. It's funny. It's a beautiful thing. It's a beautiful thing. Yeah. Not an easy thing, by no, the way. I'm, no. I'm going through that process. It's yeah. not easy. It wasn't easy for him either. Um, so congratulations to, to, to Luis for that. And um, I met him through there, through a training course, where it's an instructor-level training course, and he does a lot of executive protection. And he's just an overall camera, um, like videographer, um, photographer, nerd. He's like really good at that shit. Yeah. Really fucking good. Um, and he's also a really good EP agent. And then. Brian, the other member, um, he comes from a special operations uh, background. So he's uh, still currently in the Air Force technically, um, but he spent, I want to say, 12, maybe 12 years active duty as a uh, combat controller. Okay. So he comes with that background, and he was an instructor in his unit for, um, for a unit there, and then he's still in the, in the Air National Guard, I believe, and he still instructs there, and he still does stuff. So he's very proficient at what he does. And you notice a trend here. There's the cop, there's the EP civilian, and then there's the special operations guy. Yeah. And we kind of all came together, and we're like, well, what's the common ground here? The common ground is we love firearms, and we love training, and we want to teach people. And you said a lot of these guys are very intimidating. Right? Yeah, like, it's a, I mean, it's, 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 I'm not saying that uh, Mike is intimidating. He is. You know, yes. I won't want to fucking get in a fight with it. But uh, he is, uh, for somebody that is n- not of that level, you know, he represents something like, like let's say, a Jocko Wilmick yeah. to somebody like me. Like, I'm not going to get up at four in the morning. Yeah. Uh, somebody of that level. And uh, I think accessibility to training sometimes and people looking at some of the stuff on social media it seems like something really far off yeah. and I'm never going to get there. Uh, so you, you have uh, somebody from special operations. You have somebody in the EP field who is also a videographer and can make shit cool, yeah. uh, digestible and could, is able to communicate and cast out. And you have yourself myself who are hung, who's been hungry for training, who went through the whole process of actually going out there and gaining the experience and kind of doing things in the reverse. Because, Very reverse. Yeah. You, you know, you, you go and gain the experience and like, I could have done that better. Let I wish fucking, I had that back then. Let me go fucking off training. So the three of you come together and like, what what can we offer that we that isn't out there? And what we like to say is, um, our training, it is for everyone. It's not just for you know the cops. It's not just for your average day to day shooter. It's not just for military operation type dudes and gals. It's for everyone. And every course that we've ever taught. The number one thing that students always say is, "You guys are very approachable. Like we can, we're not intimidated by this, in in the sense that like 
they could come up and talk to us and ask us questions and you know what we the the knowledge that that we give them is very digestible and they enjoy it and it's very enjoyable for them um and all three of us kind of round robin the course like we'll teach it in blocks and we just feed off of each other and it's never just one person that's super intimidating i've been to courses where the instructor kind of makes it about themselves and it's a, it's a it was a high level guy and i i, I do like a, i sneak or not sneak around but I go and, and go as a student to a lot of courses out there, and I use my other name, you know? Yeah. And, uh, and I've encountered some of that whole aspect of, this is me, this is what I did, and let me tell you a bunch of war stories about yeah. all the shit that I did yeah. for the next four hours, and then you're going to shoot a little bit, and then I'm going to tell you what's wrong with it, and then you're going to hear more stories. Yeah. And which which I, I understand how pe- some people are that way, but the... The ability to go somewhere where everybody's at a at a at a level, and you have instructors there that, that not only have the experience base but also have the ex- the experience base of students themselves, yeah, and can make things digestible and can. There's no stupid questions, just no. fucking awkward silences. Yeah. You know that that whole aspect is something I've always kind of looked for myself when I go somewhere as a student myself. It, it's it's it also comes down to knowing your crowd. Like there's there's students batches of students that we've done privates for, and. We could treat them a certain way. They're cool with it. Kind of like what you were talking about with the, with the stress, medical training, stress, the stress, stress inoculation <laughs> stuff. Like the, we had a, 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 a company reach out to us and they said, can you guys do medical training? Like a, a, a pseudo TCCC, TECC course. And I go, well, we have the resources for it. We have PJs that are under our cadre that we could use. They could write the curriculum for us. It's not going to be a TCCC certified course. Like we're not going to get you a certificate that's pretty, but we'll teach you everything you from a, somebody that's combat operational with this this is the guy that runs it for their unit and they go do it i go okay this is the curriculum what do you think and they go fucking awesome all right cool and we and we asked him beforehand we go do you want to be stressed out do you want their scenarios do you want blood i'm on they're like yeah well we'll pay for it i'm like all right cool so we Which, put it together, and, and that's what we did. You know, yeah. and it, well, again, it comes down to knowing your crowd, knowing your crowd, and also the uh, the 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 fact that some people will go to a class like that because they're forced to. Yeah, you know, this is, a, this is something we have to go through at the office, and you're not gonna. They're called they're called uh, 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 training hostages. Yeah, training hostages. Training you, hostages. Tra- you, you have a training hostage. It's very different when somebody, you know, goes up to you. It's like, hey, I saw you guys fucking doing this. Like, is is is, is this like is this for the military only? Yeah. Which is a lot of sometimes when when people see that is that is this law enforcement yeah, law only? Law enforcement only and. Usually, we've never done an LE or military um, course only. We've done custom stuff for military yeah. and law enforcement, but we've never done a course where it's, you know, you go to the website and you go, well, this is only enrollment for law enforcement. You got to show us your creds. Yeah. Like, no, we've never done that before. What, uh, and what type of course offerings do you guys offer? So, one of our specialties is uh, low light, uh, white light. Courses. So how, how to operate? How to operate with operate a flashlight? With a fucking flashlight. Which flashlight. is again, you want to talk about retarded shit? I operate with flashlights. I remember getting the streamlight, the 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 the, the one the one with the laser on oh, yeah. it. Yeah. I thought it was like like the brightest light in the world. Fucking yellowish shit. You know, <laughs> I, I dug it out of a box recently, but uh, I wasn't told anything about not turning it on. And uh, when there's a reflective surface there, and fucking blinding yourself oh, while yeah. you're moving around a house. And then and then what if you're working in a team environment? Oh, shit. What if you're working? Oh, so flashlights are for nighttime? Yeah, yeah. 
No, yeah, they're not. Cool. No, they're for fucking low. I, I want to put it on my gun yeah. so I can illuminate what, what <laughs> and point at my gun and shit because this is the way you defend your house. It, that is one of the specialty courses that we teach is low light courses, both with handguns concealed over and also with carbines or rifles, whatever you want to call it, um, and how to operate. And so you, you would weapon, think weapon, weapon attached and also handheld so, flashlights, so, yeah, we, uh, weapon mounted lights, and also um, predominantly the handheld flashlight. And this is why. I'm going to give you an example, prime example right now. I am in a location that I cannot bring my stuff with me. Yeah. I could bring some stuff. You can bring some stuff or make some stuff. Or make some stuff. You can't, can't bring your, your... I can't bring my yeah. stuff. But what I do have in my pocket is a fucking flashlight. I have tools. I have things that I could use. A flashlight is a tool that a lot of people don't realize how useful a flashlight is until they need a flashlight or until they, re- they get taught how to use a flashlight properly, yeah. how to use it as a tool, how to use it as a force multiplier, how to use it so as... So it's not just taking it out of the box and clipping it in your pocket. No. no. It's like we will teach you how to do everything with a flashlight and how multi-useful um, uh, it is. Yeah, it's a multi-tool. It's a multi-tool. It really is. And, and people don't realize that. They go, oh, you just point the flashlight at something. I go, yeah, it's one way of doing things. So that's one of the courses that we offer. Um, and we teach that one a lot, quite a bit. Um, we also do just basic fundamental you know handgun Fire manipulation, manipulations shooting. everything we do that we recently um are you familiar with um california range week yeah yeah so we we recently hosted no well we were in we were we weren't hosting it um tony's the actual facilitator uh axiom training group uh, they put together california range week this was the second year that they did it and we this was our second time going and uh, one of the courses that we taught was uh, a broken carbine course. Okay. And basically what it was is an all-day uh, course on how to fix a rifle if it's not yeah, functional. If it goes down. It, it goes, down. goes down in the classic ways. Yeah, uh, classic, the- classic ways, the unconventional ways, why they would go down. Um, it wasn't heavy on pulling triggers. Now, did we get to shoot? Yes, we did. But it was, it was everyone like- left with their hands bloodied and Cor- correcting correcting machines that are fucking jammed correct in. and we would purposely make them jam so that we knew why they would jam and then how to fix them um, so we, that that is actually a one-of-a-kind course that i've yep. never seen offered anywhere in the industry people that teach firearms will teach you a block on how to fix something and then yeah. they go okay the rest is history now we're here to pull the triggers I'm like, cool all right but no one has ever i've never seen a course offered that teaches you specifically how to fix every single problem with your rifle, why they why they go down, and then the the conventional ways, the unconventional ways, and then things that will catastrophically happen to your rifle, and you just have to get it. You have to get it. Yeah, yeah, you have yeah. to get it. This this this, uh, this is something you know in a disposable consumer environment that where you're not actually depending on this uh, weapon for everything to protect know? your life or others. Like, yeah. uh, you know, again. I'm, my experience, like I was out somewhere with a G3 rifle, you know, or an FAN FAL, yeah. and not knowing what the gas, uh, what the gas, uh, gas uh, selector thing on, yeah. the, on front of it is, and if you don't know what that is, it'll make your magazine explode downwards <laughs> while you're, sh- while you're shooting that shit. But you don't know any of it. You that. don't know any of it. No. And I remember having that problem, and then having to go on YouTube. You know, <laughs> but, uh, you know, having the experience so again, <clears throat> the U.S. and Americans don't really know how good they have it as far as 
not only some of the freedoms that freedoms that the Constitution allows you to bear bear arms and. You know, for me, seeing that responsibility, I see it as a responsibility more than a, than a right. Yeah. You know, for me, um, people ask me like, hey, yeah, like, what do you think about, uh, you know, gun trafficking into Mexico and shit like that? And how some of that is a, some of those freedoms in the United States are a detriment to Mexico because of, the, of how they get used down here. Do you think that's a cause enough for, for you know, for them to be, you know, no guns for the Americans then? Uh I think no. there, there, I think there is a there is a part in the gun culture that is irresponsible. When I say that, I mean there are people buying guns as a, as a solution for a problem, which is like buying an amulet. You know, it's like buying a plane and thinking that's going to make you a pilot. Mm -hmm. You know, um, training not only in the basics of it, but the main, maintaining that proficiency with a firearm. And the responsibility that that that, uh, that entails, you know, how how to you have a you have somebody that buys an AR-15 and just puts it in the you know in the back of a closet. Classic classic Americans, right there. Which is you know cool. Or somebody that has like a like a hundred of fucking hundred guns. That all like oh, God bless those people as well, you know. Uh, but the responsibility of not only going out there and maintaining proficiency with that firearm. But also knowing how to correctly maneuver that firearm in a bad situation, which is people will see uh, some of your classes where you're doing room clearing or you're doing uh, moving in buildings. They're like, "What the fuck are you going to teach that to civilians for?" Well, you know, we just lived through a Black Lives Matter uh, civilian unrest, COVID epidemic, and I, I was in places in the U.S. that had had no police response. Yeah. As somebody from Mexico coming to the United States. And experiencing that loneliness as far as the responsibility of protecting yourself, I was in a very familiar place. And seeing some of the Americans freak out, COVID hit, hey, can I borrow a gun? The lines of people outside of the sudden. gun store, all of a sudden, it's a very important thing. I think it's an essential thing, you know, uh, the responsibility, again, not only to maintain that proficiency with that firearm, not just buy a firearm as a solution itself, because that's no solution. Uh, but also the responsibility of maintaining that proficiency in the training. And and having people like you guys who offer it without the uh, whole, you have to be a cool guy, or you have to dress like a cool guy, or you have to have the cool equipment. But I don't know what the cool equipment is. Yeah. So guns are now part of our culture. It's been it's part of, it's essential. There it's is an essential thing. no reason, no reason why people should not own firearms. And back to your point, training you're going to own something, just be proficient with it. I'm not asking you to be the best there ever is with something. Just know the basic functionality of what it is that you carry or what it is that you have at home. Um, and that's it. That's really it. Just seek out your own training. But to say that, you know, we should just get rid of guns or to say that, you know, oh, no, no, guns aren't for everyone. Um, now, there are few exceptions, you know, people with mental illnesses, like deep, deep mental illnesses. That, you know, the, the, the mental illness aspect yeah. of it. And the degradation of people's ability to function because of prescription uh, yeah. medication related to some of these issues. Mm -hmm. um, the lack of supervision and oversight by family nucleuses around these firearms yeah. and just people being shitty and distant and separate yeah. is the issue, it not is. the firearm. No, it's not the firearm. That is the issue. But again, how, like, how do we handle that? 
like how and who handles it and who has a responsibility to handle that? Well, I think uh, the main thing I see, and again, this is me as an observer. I'm new to the U.S. I love I love the United States. It is uh, it has been both very good to me and also there's some sh- some shit that has happened that hasn't been too friendly. Uh, but the main thing I recognize in it is that in a lot of places, and I travel, I've been to a lot of parts of the United States. Um, I think I've traveled to most states. Iowa is missing, and <laughs> but uh, I'll go there eventually, I guess. Um, it's a warrior culture, or at least it was at some point. Uh, you used to have shoot. You could go uh, sports shooting at school. You know, there's still some parts of the United States where kids arrive to school with a shotgun in the in the in their in the back window of a they truck. Still teach that, yeah. And I see that, and I was like, "Ah, that's cool." You know, that's a, that's a that's a cool part of it. But now there's the detachment and a separation in the culture where guns are being vilified, and the and and the, they're considered something destructive in and of themselves. And maybe the uh, <clears throat> maybe some of these situations that happen with mass shooters and people that are completely obviously fucked up in the head, and some of the processes that put people into that type of a situation, you know, that's what you be looked at uh, at more closely than the actual firearms. Correct. And you know, having the ability to go to some people like you guys, where you can just have access to it, you know, uh, you know, I, I encounter a lot of people that are starting off into this whole process of training themselves. They see in me like an entryway to some of this stuff. You know, hey, how can I be safe? How can I be aware? And I say, well, you know, what type of firearms do you like, Ed? Well. Like I mean, I like my, the thirty-eight is a pretty good one. I like that, you know. Maybe a Mossberg Scout with a scope on it, so I can shoot you from really <laughs> far away. Um, and they they see these uh, these selections as weird and unique. Like, why are you basing these selections on it? Well, that's what I've seen work, and that's a bare minimum as yeah. far as what you you would you would want. But if I could get to pick what I wanted, probably got to get a, a carbine, you know, and be proficient with it. Um, home defense gun of some sort, not only home defense gun, because, you know, you have a country that has lived through a period of great unrest, yeah. and I imagine there's more ahead of us. It, it's it, To me, it always comes down to um, what what is your budget, number one. Number two, what is the reason why you want to own this particular item? Like, not necessarily, like, me telling you you can't own this. If you want to buy something, totally for it. What is the reason for you? You said that you have a very specific reason why you want those two items yeah. because you've been there, you've done that. It's worked for you. It's a it's a it's a universal solution. You, you that's a, you can there's you can California safe. You know you can you can hunt with it. You yeah. can also you can carry it. You know there there's some advantages, some disadvantages to that, those selections, but uh, it's better than nothing. It's better than nothing. Yeah. And if you are going to start up a base and work off a base, that's a good base to work yeah. off. Yeah. Um, if people want to find out more about what you do, the training you provide, and the company Triple Feed uh, uh, as well, where can they? So where can two, they? Two different places. Uh, so we do have a website, um, triple-feed.com. Not triplefeed.com because triplefeed.com has to do with breastfeeding. Unfortunately, okay. We tried. We tried to buy the website and they wouldn't give it up. I, I guess they love breastfeeding. Um, so triple-feed.com. Um, we have a contact us there email. Yeah. And you can just email us if you guys want to actually uh, like do a custom course. Again, everything under the sun, we've taught up some portion of it, uh, be it CQB, just regular uh, combatives, uh, not combatives, I'm sorry, uh, uh, like uh, basic fundamental marksmanship with handguns, rifles. Um, but we, we've done medical, we've done CQB because we have 
providers and we have people that do that uh, for a living. Um, and then if you want more specialty stuff, we, we could also do it. So there's that. Uh, and if not, uh, on our on our actual Instagram handle, so triple underscore feed, uh, you can reach us there. We always answer DMs. Uh, or you could just reach me on my personal as well. And I pretty much, as long as you're not sending me unsolicited photos, <laughs> I will answer almost every single fucking uh, DM. And any like even if you have questions about, well, hey, this is what I do for a living. And, this is I, you know, I, I want to start. I want to start somewhere. What do you recommend? I will give you recommendations based off of what I've seen. It doesn't necessarily mean it's the best thing out there. It's just what works for me and in, in, in my environment and what I've seen work. Um, or I could point you in the right direction. You know, I have people, or I know people like yourself, Ed, like some of the other guys that we have on on, the, on our group chats. Some of the people that I know in law enforcement, military, that are willing to do the same thing. Um, and they might be more readily available for that individual, be it because you're you're in the region that you're in. You might not be able to travel to California or Las Vegas. You're more on the East Coast. I could recommend people on the East Coast that I trust, that I value. That's the number one thing I tell people in this industry is vet your fucking instructors. Yeah. Vet your instructor. You don't want to get, you know, Uncle Mike's, you know, holster instructor that's NRA certified through, you know, a website that got ordained online and can now marry you and at the same time qualify you. It's like, <laughs> why would you want that? Like vet your instructors. And I don't mean YouTube or um, Instagram vet. I mean, like ask around, ask people like, hey, yeah. have you prior, ever... prior students, prior uh, students, uh, yeah. who, who have they worked with? Who yeah. have they trained? You know, I, you know, I do that. Some, some of that for myself when I go off and uh, go in as a student with, yeah. with an instructor. And also if people have to realize that's a, it is, it is a risky, it is, training uh training environment and it's always a good idea to have people that are qualified in front of you oh yeah and there's nothing wrong with asking questions no no as a matter of fact i i encourage <clears throat> students to ask questions when they're at courses don't be intimidated and damn that sounds weird like why are we okay i guess we're gonna have to do it because the instructor told me to do it yeah um ask questions as long as they're like they're reasonable questions you're not asking them what if this, yeah. you know, like you know, the what 4,000 what ifs? Exactly. And, and there's a time and a place to ask questions. And as an instructor, you should know when a student is sniping or when the student's trying to like. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> but definitely ask questions. And, and uh, I'm, I'm here if, if anybody cool. has a resource, if anybody needs anything. And uh, thank you for this fucking conversation. Uh, it's been a long time coming. Yes, sir. Uh, awesome company. Uh, awesome, awesome training, and I want to go as a student. And Always I'm probably gonna take uh, take Avi out there, and we're gonna fucking film some of that shit as a fucking. You know, I do a lot of this type of shooting, you know, with the two hands. <laughs> so we'll figure out some dual wielding MP5s or something. I, I think <laughs> a uh, a snub nose portion of you clearing a room with a snubby and a fucking flashlight would be fucking tits, Mickey. I'll, I'll figure it out. <laughs> uh, thank you for coming out. Carnal. Gracias, amigo. Thank you.